0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the bloody disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time.
1: Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to yet another installment, chapter, episode, whatever you want to call it, of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Of course, we are not talking about the Stephen King book today, but we are talking about a book that was very influential to Psy King, and that would be Lord of the Flies for this latest Dance Macabre installment. Uh, I'm your host, Dan. Oh, gosh, I don't even know if there is there an alliteration I can I can do for this.
2: I've given up on alliteration. I just go with whatever. Yeah, it's writing. hard.
1: There aren't like a ton of characters in this book. And I don't think any of them would go with my, with my, I'll I'll just say Dan devil cat. There's <laughs> the Lord of the flies, means <laughs> the <laughs> devil, <laughs> Satan, all that good stuff. Um, and I'm joined here by an illustrious panel. Um, and I actually, I'll be honest. I have no idea what any of y'all's experience with this book is. I'll save mine for the end. Um, but let's pass it to. Yeah, the only, I think the only Chicagoan now, officially now again is Chicagoan on the podcast. Who do we have all the way from the Windy City?
2: This is Mel, my Specs castle, <laughs> or just Mel Specs castle because I wear glasses. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have officially moved back to Chicago after three years in Iowa City. I'm sorry for the recording quality probably being a little echoey. My apartment is empty. There is no furniture in it except for this desk. Um my exposure to Lord of the Flies, like so many, I read it in probably middle school, um, maybe high school. Definitely too young to read it. I think one of my stances that I've developed coming back to it now is that it's it's not a, it's not a children's book. It's not a book for no, children, not in the slightest. <laughs> um, but they but it's very popular to assign for for middle school and, and high school mm-hmm. teachers. I still think that's maybe a little a little too early for them to really grasp it because coming back to it now it was like the biggest unexpected treat in in new ways um loved it excited to talk about it I know it's really important to you Caffrey so I'm really excited oh to yeah and it.
1: it's funny talking about reading it too early because I have a story about that and, and I agree with that too because I think I totally misinterpreted this book when I first read it as a 10 year old mm-hmm. um you could have gone Mel Castle Rock uh,
2: uh, I've done that before yeah I, I a Stephen King podcast <laughs> this is
1: like the OG Castle Rock <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: did not know that until this time around
1: yeah and actually <laughs> thanks for referencing in the echo. Um, I, I think all of us are in weird moving situations right now. Mel just moved. I'm about to move in a couple of days. Jen just moved. Uh, sorry, actually. I mentioned you.
3: Hey, this is Jen of the Flies Adams, and I was tra- trying to find a clever one too, but you know, not a lot of lady names in this one. Um, and <laughs> this was my first read of this book. Like, I I don't know how I missed this throughout middle school and high school. Like, I took all of the English classes, and I was in APs, and I think it just just never got assigned to me, and there was always something else that was. So I had you know I was really really surprised by how much I enjoyed it and it's like everything I love to talk about about like society and like the world in a book and I was I just am really excited to dig in
1: yeah it's definitely a microcosm novel if there ever was one maybe Mm -hmm. maybe not the original microcosm novel but for definitely the first one that I read so yeah I'm excited to dive in as well and who uh, last but not least is our analyst all the way in Idaho and what is your experience with this book
4: Hi, this is Rachel, past the conch Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) I also read this way too young. I remember my mom gave me a list in elementary school of books. It was a hundred books that college bound students should read. And I being just a super nerd was like, I'm going to read all these before I even get to high school. Yeah. (laughs) And so I read a lot of great books and understood very few of them, Um, mainly Lord of the Flies and Animal Farm 1984 went right over my head. Uh, So this one, it was really great. I haven't read it since then so revisiting it now just like Mel was saying was a whole new experience so I'm so grateful to get to revisit this book
1: uh yeah I it's funny because I wish I had gone to read this in middle and high or high school and gone to study it and yeah it never came up my I I was in a pretty conservative town although I think we're all kind of from conservative towns, so I don't know maybe that wasn't the case um but yeah I heard about this not the about the movie the 1990 movie which is so so. um, When I was a little kid, and all I heard was, "Oh, there's this kid Simon," and in that version, it's a modern version. He has a glow stick that he runs around the whole time. They're like, "Yeah, there's this kid Simon with a big glow stick," and they kill him. <laughs> and I was just like, "Whoa, what is this? <laughs> what is this mysterious movie?" Um, which lead, led me to seek out the book when I was ten years old, and I, I loved it when I first read it. Um, but my big takeaway from the book was, "Oh, it would be really cool to live on an island with your." I think that would be awesome to get stranded with my fifth grade class and learn how to build society together. Um, and then also, too, I think probably the first few times I read the book, and I'm interested to hear y'all's thoughts on this once we get into the characters, I really did it as, oh, these were the good kids over here, bad kids over here, and the good kids have to beat the bad kids. And that's and and I actually think the book is so much more complex that I actually don't even think it's condoning one way or the other completely i think it's about the flaws of both of those systems um it it really took i saw a Steppenwolf theater did a theater for young audiences version of this in chicago probably oh gosh i don't know 2011 2012 and i saw it and it was the first time where i came away critical of ralph and piggy um and really thought about it like oh no this isn't just about good and this is critiquing you know society's stories and what that might look like on an island with a bunch of little kids. Um, and we'll get into all that in just a bit. So I've had a a real ride with this book. I've always been fascinated by, it. and after seeing the Steppenwolf version, um, I wrote a sequel called Sound Suckling and many years later that we produced, and it I we got to have our performances literally, I think our last 13th 2020s. So it was it was like the last theater live theater I, I got to do before uh, the pandemic hit, so it will always have a special place in my heart. Um, And maybe I'll go into a little bit of sound suckling later on. All right, so that's a good intro, I think, for how we all came to this book. Um, But first, before we go too nitty-gritty, let's just go into the background of the writing in a little section we like to call The Stacks.
0: This is hot, Ray. Symmetrical book stacking, just like the Philadelphia Man's turbulence of 1947. You're right, no human being would stack books like this.
1: Welcome to the Stacks, where we talk about how this book came to be. I think, every, I mean, maybe this is a good question for everyone. Did you know what this book was about before you read it? I mean, it's not like everyone knows what the trope of Lord of the Flies is, right? Kids st- stuck on, kids an island. on an island. Yeah. yeah.
3: Marooned yeah. Kids. I had always assumed, like I've heard Lord of the Flies, like, oh, they're going to be Lord of the Flies before like the end of the day. You know, I kind of understood it as like chaos like descending into chaos without structure
1: yeah i think like little kids rebelling and, and you know the pig's head on a stick and the war paint and the rest of it i think mm-hmm. it, it just seems so ingrained into society simpson's parodied it um i think anytime <laughs> you're talking about like kids acting savage right that I mean, we come back to <laughs> to lord of the F-
2: it's in an offspring song <laughs>
1: yeah. wait is there an offspring song about lord of the flies
2: there's there's like a single lyric in uh god what the is it you got to keep you're, them gonna go, you're gonna go far kid? I think is the song. <laughs>
1: is, is that from Smet? You're, you're Mel, are you you're like an offspring scholar a little love bit, it. right?
2: I love the offspring, I'm <laughs> um, used to anyway. But there's there's near the end, there's the lyric is like they're all they're rhyming things with lies, like a thousand lies, lord of the flies. <laughs> they just stick it in there near the very end. I, um, I don't it's know like
1: if a, M-M-M in also
3: about. Lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know if any of y'all are uh Kurt Vile fans, but he has a ly- he has a song called On just about you know the tension being on tour of the band and how that can descend into chaos and and the lyric is uh it's on tour lord of the flies <laughs> it doesn't even i mean, but the rest of, i mean the rest of the song doesn't really reference lord of the flies all that specifically but um yeah it's so obviously it's a big talking point for or a big reference point for a lot of artists out there and king who of course named the town of castle rock after castle rock uh which is sort of the um for lack of a better word, the headquarters of, of the island in this book, which is just the rock where everyone goes to meet and assemble. Um, so, a little bit of background on the book: it was written by by William Golding. Sir, is he a, sir? he's probably a Sir, right? Sir Golding, I imagine he is. Yeah,
4: sounds good. <laughs>
1: sounds those, right. All those all those old British guys are.
2: It's a very British book. Yeah. Super yes.
1: British, yeah. I love all the yeah I love all the British terminology like sucks and uh-huh. um, wizard. <laughs> I, listened- <laughs> <Waco>. <laughs> I listened
3: to the audio book and he read it, which was very interesting because he pronounces a lot of things differently and very particularly.
1: So. I you know what's funny Jen is I listened to the audio book after I first read it because I just wanted to kind of devour everything Lord of the F- related and um yeah I remember too he gave commentary after the chapters and he, uh-huh. and <laughs> he answers he answers the question about he's the pe- people ask why I didn't put any girls on the island, but that would bring up the issue of sex, and I was like, I, I, uh-huh. yeah, "Well, I don't and like- I've
3: got more thoughts about that later." But yeah, it's some- plenty of there's plenty of sex in the book.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think this is actually one of the most homoerotic books ever written and i i mean in in many ways um which which we'll get into um yeah i think there's tons of se- at least symbolistic sex i
2: was i was talking about heterosex i wasn't even getting oh into really that. well i guess
1: i mean i guess with the whole pig right like was what william golding has called that like a like a demented marriage ceremony or or something like that
2: Sure, the pig is the most explicit yeah. example. Yeah. Um, we'll get we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We got yeah. I got thoughts, especially on uh, on Roger. Um. So yeah. So the basic <laughs> plot of the book is that uh. And I always when I was younger, I thought it was World War Two, but I guess it's like an undefined war, uh, nuclear war. Uh, a bunch of British schoolboys who have been evacuated for, uh, from private school. Uh, their plane gets shot down. Uh, they land in the middle of the Pacific and they come to this island. Um, and they also have a a, a uh, there's a dead the a dead pilot. No, the pilot's like not dead when the book starts, but a, a for a little bit is the only adult. And then later on, there's a parachuting soldier who gets shot out of his uh, aircraft and is on there too. But it's mostly kids on this island. William Golding actually wrote this as a part satire, part criticism, part riff on a book called The Coral Island by R.M. Ballantine, which was this very idealistic lost uh, sea adventure um, with with adult men, not with kids. And it's almost this sort of, a fantasy version of what would happen if someone got marooned and it's a pretty racist book too, but they make light out of it. And Wim Golding looked at that as, I don't think, you know, kids or adults, I don't think this is what would happen if people were stranded. I don't think it would be happy go lucky and people being inventive all the time. I think it would actually fall apart. Even most of the characters names come directly from the Coral Islands. Have any of you read the Coral Islands? Or- no. no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's not very good. Like I can see why <laughs> Golding read this and was like, what is this garbage? I can do this better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can do yeah, exactly. And so he uh so he wrote this as a Response to it, and of course, it's um, you know I, th- I think it's it's critical of society, but m- more specifically, of course, these boys we would do this on the island. Look at the role models they have. Look at the way humankind operates in general, right? Which we definitely see with with the end of the book. Um, so yeah. gold, golden. Oh, sorry, what were you gonna say? Yeah,
3: no, well, this might be, I might be jumping the gun, but I find no, it more of a study in the patriarchy than I do of actual society, and more masculinity than humanity. Yeah, it's I have many more thoughts about that. Yeah, that's for later. I,
1: It's interesting because I feel like, I feel like just giving Golding's comments, I've always looked at it. I was, oh, he's he's criticizing society and hum- humanity. But the fact that he does decide to literally not depict like an entire gender of the book, right? It seems like weird yeah. to to do, to do that. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know like I'm I'm curious about how self-aware he was of the masculinity angle or the patriarchy angle or anything like that.
3: Well, in his little intro, and it's so funny because it just feels like off the cuff, you know, and I think it was recorded in like the late 70s or 80s, so, you know, I don't think he I I don't know how much thought he put into it, but he's like, "Yeah, and people always ask me um why there are no girls on the island." He's like, "I don't know. You can't distill society with girls like if it were all girls it wouldn't be a distillation of society and I was like yeah you're right because our society is the patriarchy and Mm -hmm. it's based on this masculine thing so I don't think he was really kind of aware of what he was doing and I think um or oh and aware in that regard and I mean I'm I'm not saying that as a critique of it because I think it's fantastic that there aren't girls in it because then it does become an allegory and it's like very I can really dig into this limited thing you know
1: yeah, that's a, a good point. It, I, it's funny too, because this, even just this word, the patriarchy, right, which has been around forever, obviously, yeah. but I do feel like we've started using it ubiquitously in the past. I don't know decade maybe you know so like i don't i wonder if back in golding's day if anyone was using that to describe something like a negative no. structure that we've all set no, up right I don't yeah, think. I don't, <laughs> yeah i don't think so either. He,
3: would, he would not <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> golding would <laughs> we were not do yeah, would not well, especially do that.
3: not when he was writing it and yeah. i don't even think when he was describing when he was reading it you know reading the
1: yeah series. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 almost weird. It's like this kind of because I remember even as a kid, the 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 sex thing and the the his reasoning for putting not putting girls in the island seemed just a little strange. But at the same time, I agree. I do think the I actually do think the book is better for it. And in a weird mm-hmm. way, he does unknowingly make it this this you kind know, of this critique of, of toxic masculinity in a way. Even if you would look at okay who's fighting the war in this book, right? Like who is the person they see at the end? It's this guy, this older guy with a gun, right? Who criticizes them for playing Island games and having chaos. And then in the background, there's all these warships, right? So I feel like it is this kind of, I mean, I don't don't want to call it accidental because William Golding was a smart guy, obviously, but yeah, I don't know if we were taught. I don't know, at least in a, in a mainstream context, if we were examining those things, quite a, with us quite as much nuance and complexity as we are today or at least being being vocal about it um yeah i do other think thoughts that, on that
2: perhaps he would agree that boyhood is sort of quintessential in a gendered way to mm-hmm. the story because there is a particular competitive slash camaraderie nature that comes with being a young boy that that just seems i think at least in this essentialist time or or retelling like um more physical, like more just kind of rough and tumble, um, but also just how you engender fear and respect as a boy is different than how you would as as a girl. Mm-hmm. And certainly, he probably couldn't access like what it what it would take to be a girl on this island, and like what would happen. I know that there have actually been adaptations or. Um,
1: yeah, I think I they're not
2: parodies, I, but like there have been o- women only versions of, of Lord of the Flies. Yeah, they're, like,
1: they're, they forever have been talking about making, because I think there's like one from, I think there's an adaptation, I want to want to say it was from Thailand, let me see, It uh, mm-hmm. where, they, where they, I think they mixed the genders. They've been talking about making an all-girl one for like kind of a while, and I, I haven't, I've seen the one from the sixties, um, that Peter Brooks directed. And then, uh, the one from the nineties that Harry hook directed, which isn't quite as good, but I haven't seen any, any of the ones from other countries or anything. Have any of y'all seen the adaptations and any of the ones we're, uh, we're talking about?
4: No, I haven't.
1: Yeah. Let me see if I, I'm just pulling this, uh, this up here. Oh, I'm seeing apparently Cobra Kai, which I do not watch uh reference Lord <gasps> of the flies as well. So that
0: makes good. sense.
3: Cobra, yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah.
1: What, did, what is it? What do they, what's the, uh, the
4: context of it?
3: I don't remember them referencing *Lord of the Flies*. Um, it, I mean, it must but, have something to do with Cobra Kai, that the dojo. Yeah, is my... the dojo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That What's it's it? very kind of survival of the fittest, or like dominance over yeah. everything, and then and John Kreese is definitely a Roger or Jack. So,
2: Wikipedia them. says that the 2018 American thriller film *Lady World* is an all-female take <laughs> on *Lord world. of the
3: Flies. Lady, Lady World. Yes. <laughs> that title. Just a <laughs> image.
2: It's a, it's one world. It's one word. <laughs>
3: Lady yeah, World. <laughs>
2: they are they are trapped in a house together after an earthquake. Oh, okay, soon. so it's a, mm. a,
1: yeah, and then the it's oh sorry, it was not Thailand. It was a Filipino film called I'm I'm probably butchering this pronunciation. Um, *Alcatrindugo* that that was mixed gender that had boys and girls on the island. Um. Yeah, they I've been reading about them making supposedly making like a straight adaptation that has girls instead of boys in a, like a mainstream American blockbuster one. But I don't know if they've ever started on it. And I do think it's a different a different sort of story if they do if if they do handle it that way, but yeah, I'd be curious. I mean, to
2: Jen's point, it, it's just I do agree that like page like society was just men. Like yeah. you could, you like weren't working in the world if you were a woman. So like right. it it is almost just like there's no concept of the patriarchy because society is just men. Like, I don't think there's toxic masculinity necessarily to be found because <laughs> that concept couldn't actually exist yeah. because, like, yeah. there was no comparison to operate in society as a man versus a woman. Only men were operating in, in society. Oh,
1: totally. I, just
4: wanna, yeah. I, th- I think I, I get see Wayne it. Golding.
1: Yeah, no, get Rachel.
4: I, I see it more as just a reflection of when this was written as well. I mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think he was consciously aware, and he was just trying to think about like, okay, what's the most efficient way to tell this story? All right, no girls, yeah, and just but by doing that, it, yeah, it kind of tells on the time period and the culture that he was living in.
1: It would be funny if yeah, on their audiobook he's like he was like he's like oh when I coined the term toxic masculinity, and <laughs> <I>
4: just, <laughs> just like,
1: you're like oh wow, like, right. <laughs> but really, it's really. great
3: because it's, like, it reduces everything to this, like, finite thing that we can look at and pick up pieces and kind of analyze rather than, like, a whole bunch of different, like, outliers that could be shading things. It's, like, this really clear object lesson that I, I love, and it's – I think that's kind of – um the mark of really good art or really good fiction is that it has kind of a timeless quality and that this can, this is still a relevant book. Like what, 70 years later, you know, even though he didn't intend it to be relevant in the way that it probably is now.
4: Yeah. That is one thing I was super surprised about rereading this so many years later was yeah. Just how simple and clean and efficient and how relevant and how much things still resonated and how much you can still take away from it. It didn't, there's not a lot of it that felt like super dated outside of, you know, some of the the wording and dialoguing, some of that kind of stuff. But yeah, I was I was so surprised.
2: It felt felt current in ways that were super specific to me. Like I think there are probably papers that English PhDs are writing about how Lord of the Flies is like a climate change novel.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah.
2: Which I, I can totally see. Like, Wait, say more about and also that. I That's, was mapping like
1: how, so just, just oh, with like the, um, or just things that kind of uh, devolving into chaos in a way or.
2: I, I know I kept thinking about it, especially, um, when they talk about, there's a quote that says, you know, supposing I got like the others not caring what it, what had become of us. And, when they set fire to the island at the end and at the beginning, um, there's a lot of talk of like, those are going to get the fruit trees. Like, what are we going to eat tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of this forward thinking stuff is tied to the ecosystem, is, is like tied to what they're living off of. And also the political mapping is like, is is there. Yeah, um, fear so moment. for me, like anytime it, it turned to the preservation of like what they've been living off of quite literally, and also the political, uh, yeah, mapping onto like, basically like GOP and non-GOP stances <laughs> yeah.
4: towards mm-hmm. towards the earth, towards the island that we're on. Yeah, yeah. it was um, impossible to, you know, not think of that and make those comparisons after living through the last presidency and everything that happened. Mm-hmm. Moving into this one, it was, yeah, I found myself thinking about that a lot. Mm-hmm. That's
1: super interesting. Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to read it through that lens now, because I, I have to be honest, I've never thought about climate change through, or at least through the lens of this book, but I, 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 you're totally right. Well, and also this idea of, it's funny on the island, they make such a big thing about killing this pig, right? Because they actually don't have to, there's plenty of fruit the entire time. There's, they don't have to do any of the stuff that eventually makes them descend into savagery. And I eat meat, I'm not against eating meat, but even if you think about the scale of farm production or oil or anything else all the crap that causes climate change right we didn't have to do any of it we didn't even need most of it in a way so it's it's just this kind of taking things from the land and just and just abusing it to an extent yeah that's super interesting right
2: and also being like who's gonna rescue us we need to like outsource the
1: rescue,
3: right? Like prioritize <laughs>
1: yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. That. Yeah. That's great. I'd never thought about the book of that, uh, in that way. So I'll, when I revisit, I feel like I read it, reread it every few years. So next time I reread it after this, um, yeah, I definitely want to think about that. What we've did. So are
2: we? Is this sort of the the stacks includes the sort of like thematic hook section? Yeah. So yeah. Talking about. Yeah. The hook. Do you have more? Do you have more kind of like background that needs to be? Shared? I don't think
1: so, as far as exposition goes. I mean, obviously, you know, we we touched on the the king connection with Castle rock and he he's referenced this book quite a bit throughout his uh his novels and we'll get to that later on but yeah i don't think there are any like biographical i mean it, maybe it's interesting to say that uh when he first submitted it to his publisher they had a a professional editor who wanted to really gut the book and what and he i think viewed it as being exceptionally trashy um to the point where golding felt very disconnected from the book by the time it got published um but i mean as far i mean obviously it's a classic now right i don't think anyone would dispute dispute that and to rachel's point i think i think part of why it does age really well is because when we read it as kids once again i think we're we're drawn to the more salacious aspects of it right and the 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 adventure aspects of it which are still there in in a really evocative way i think but every time I read as I get older, I feel differently about all the characters. Like I said, I don't know if I would consider, I mean, Ralph and Piggy. And I I think the one pure character is maybe Simon. And outside that, I don't know if Ralph and Piggy's way of leading is completely effective either. Right. Like, I mean, they kind of almost just wait for things to happen to them at a certain point rather than, you know, attacking evil head on or the challenges head on. So I don't know. I think the book is, despite its short length and its pretty basic premise, I do think it's operating on a lot of different levels. But yeah, no, I think we're good on exposition. So yeah, any thematic um, or hook elements that anyone wants to talk about, maybe the director of the 1990 film, whose name is Harry Hook, um, this would be the place for it. Yeah, if anyone else wants to bring up uh, uh, further themes.
2: I mean, I'm interested about what you said maybe this was my simplistic read this time because I was coming to it pretty much for the first time as an adult. Like I, I do think the book really privileges Ralph like in a direct writing way, like the point of view is more commonly aligned with Ralph than with the other characters, although it does dip into them. Um, I I did feel that the book wasn't was endorsing Ralph um, and, and that like most of his thinking is supposed to be taken as clear headed and logical and, Correct, and that his failures to govern are not really a result of anything but the shortcomings of the other <laughs> children. Yeah. And like just just kind of what happens when, you know, um there's too many young people like on an island <laughs> together. Like I'm not I like I'm interested in hearing more about what you think in terms of like what are the shortcomings of sort of like democracy or assembly or collectivism that that get kind of tossed out by Golding or by the, book. I mean,
1: I think for me, it's, it's more like, I, I don't think it, for me, I think it's the more just him not sticking up for himself at a certain point. Like, and, and I don't know in a way, and this maybe speaks to the current moment too. putting too much faith in the other side. Like, I feel like for so much of the book, Ralph and piggy are acting like everyone else is following the same rules that they are. And they're not right. It's the net. It's the Ned Stark fatal flaw, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones <laughs> I, I, I think at this point um, that is moot, but yeah, I think it's this idea and I don't know, I guess we, we, you know, it's, it's going to depend on just how you view this in life, right? Like, well, okay. What, would it have been right for Ralph and P to get more violent or more aggressive when that's the behavior that has sent them on to this descent to begin with. At the same time, I do believe in defending yourself and taking a stand against certain things, which I feel like they don't really do. They just become kind of passive by, by the end of the book. But I don't know. I think that's just going to vary from person to person on, on whether you do think like, and maybe, maybe this speaks to the um the patriarchy criticism we're talking about when my dad, uh, my dad and I watched both movies together, the, the, uh, the Harry Hook one and the Peter Brook one. And i I remember as a kid my dad being like man ralph's a wimp like he just he just doesn't like stand up for himself so I mean, which could be which could be playing into the criticisms offered in the book right that no like there should just be none of this savagery or violence to begin with but yeah i think that's that's what it is for me by the end is that ralph just making the assumption that everyone's just gonna play like uh like he does but yeah what about you rachel and, and or jen um just thoughts on the democracy versus anti-democracy of the book or or if, or if you like came down hard on a certain way um, with the two camps of the characters.
4: I mean I definitely think that Ralph I mean we see most of the story through him and we get to know him better and I think that it's Ralph comes from a position of privilege like that's pretty clear through how we meet him we get a little bit of his backstory and it's and even the way he talks Uh, Like his dialect is kind of hinting that Ralph is coming from a slightly, you know, higher class maybe than some of the other boys. He's a fancy boy. He's a fancy boy. Yes. And so I think it's interesting that, you know, everybody looks to him to know how to solve these problems. And you can unpack, you know, why he's you know a good looking possibly you know rich boy that they look to him to kind of figure things out um versus like piggy who's clearly a bit more intellectual and like knows what he's thinking about and i think you know ralph talks a lot about how he wishes he was more like that because he doesn't think about these things he doesn't know how to think about these things but still they vote him in as the chief versus jack you know jack comes later but They still everybody turns to him for help. I just always think that that's so interesting and kind of what that says about who we put into leadership and Mm -hmm. how we just assume that, oh, well, they've had this schooling and they know this. And so we're going to just like trust that they know what to do when they really haven't established or shown that they know how to do things when there's somebody else like piggy maybe and simon would actually be better leaders and how they approach things but nobody really considers that because
2: oh but ralph but ralph is the best leader like ralph has the authority the natural charisma like nobody would follow a piggy or simon oh no we, yes i
4: followed
1: piggy because his name is piggy yeah <laughs> the big piggy yeah
4: you would dan i i just think it's it's i like seeing that that thought process behind ralph and that he admits that to himself he's admitting to himself and us as the readers that he doesn't have all the answers and he
3: doesn't quite know what he's doing so yeah Mm -hmm. ralph really pissed me off right away um and i had a really hard time getting on board with him throughout and i wonder if i would have had a different um approach to this book as um if I had read it as a kid and was more familiar with the story, but, like, one of the first things he does is he others Piggy, and he, like, in a really shameful, hurtful way, and he does it to establish his dominance, and so, like, when I look at this as, like, a kind of a manifestation of the patriarchy what i love about it is it's two different ones like there's two different systems of masculinity both kind of struggling for dominance because like his like ralph is an agent of the patriarchy because his like what that is is a system of governing or a system of power based on like the nuclear family with the father at the head and that's what he's wanting to do and he has dominance with the conch it's just like a vocal dominance. It's not necessarily like a muscular dominance. And so he is, he is building, he's rebuilding society. And this is kind of going back to what we were saying about Golding's understanding of society is and It's like the joke about the fish, the two fish that pass each other. And one says, how's the water today? And the other one says, what's water? Like, I just don't think he realized like this, the, the civilization that he was building is based on othering others and it's based on subjugating others. He's just doing it in a more intellectual or a more, I guess, quote unquote, civilized way. Whereas Jack is just like, I'm the strongest. And so that's the way that I'm going to dominate. And Ralph is I'm the loudest and I am the most persuasive, you know, but it's still kind of two forms of dominance. And I do think it's really interesting, like who we put in charge. Like if you look at, Um, The presidents that we have had over the Like I think of like John F. Kennedy Like somebody who's really good looking That just naturally kind of attracts people And you want to follow that person Because like our society idealizes those people And if you follow them Then you're gonna maybe kind of be like them At some point, you know I I guess I think that like Ralph There was hope
2: for Ralph And that Mm -hmm. Piggy was always going to be othered No matter what because of how children are And Mm -hmm. because that that is built into how humans operate not even just children yeah and like his his othering of piggy and the books othering of of piggy is sort of a great one over on the readers because piggy is not likable like we Mm -hmm. like we also do not like piggy (laughs) he is othered for for reasons that he like can't really control but that are Mm self-perpetuating and like i do think ralph's system for me is is like a very convincing argument towards the like possible the like heavenly glimpses of like what what will socialism teach us about those we wish to other and how to treat them and how to respect how they can flourish because by the end Ralph has come to really appreciate his sort of cabinet which is which is Piggy and he knows Mm -hmm. that Piggy is an intellectual resource that can think about things like he doesn't think about things and the reader also comes to learn that Piggy's like aforementioned laziness his like sort of reticence to do any manual labor is because it it triggers his asthma. Like we, we sort of know this, but like he literally can't do it. Like mm-hmm. he will stop breathing. There's this cool thing about like, I think disability in the book, like Simon has epilepsy. Piggy cannot see without his glasses, like at all. His sight is so bad. And also he's overweight um, or he's fat. I don't like using the term overweight anymore. And also, I mean, he um, has asthma. He, like, can't do the the physical labor that the island seems to say is the only answer for contribution. Mm -hmm. But Ralph is able to see beyond that and say, like, oh, actually, Piggy contributes in this hugely beneficial way. And if we can respect that, like, what does Piggy say? I even wrote down this quote um, that, like, he acknowledges... Um, I've, if I pull logs, I get my asthma bad. I wish I didn't Ralph, but there it is. And I feel like one of the biggest arguments that are the, the biggest problems that people have with socialism is like, there's going to be like freeloaders or like, there's going to be, we don't want to fund like the people that aren't going to like put in the work. Um, but like, that's like bullshit. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, we should, we should fund the people that can't put in the work, not only because they can contribute in other ways, but just because like, that's the way it is like (laughs) like we are always going to be this diverse population yeah and i think the book is hopeful about ralph and is cynical about the world like i don't i don't agree with the take of like ralph as like this other sort of like misguided dominant mode i see it as a very kind of like if only reading well and
3: i kind of think like I think Ralph does change over the course of the book in a way that I don't see many of the other characters changing because I agree. And when I think about what Ralph really wants, like, he's the one that's really focused on getting off the island and getting out of this. Like, he just wants to go back and read the books on a shelf and, like, go in when He wants to snowing. feed the ponies. <laughs> exactly. I know, and I thought that was really sweet. And it's like, he's the one who, I think he's able to see see that. And I think you're right. Like, he does have that cabinet by the end. I think what frustrates me so much at the beginning is that he... Um, he does not like he delegates without really understanding. He just kind of gives it out because that's just what he sees. That's probably what he's grown up seeing people do in his life. And I think it's when he starts to see what the other side of that is that he has a lot of growth. And I do start to really like him and pity him.
1: What do, just because I, since we're in thematic territory and not to, not to make a complete one hundred and eighty, but we did touch on it before. Um, let's talk a little about a little thing called sex, uh, everyone, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but for real we, um, you know, we talked about the absence of women on the, this island. Obviously, it it is a bunch of boys, which is not the same as having a bunch of men together on there. I said, "Oh, I think it's actually a, a quite homoerotic book in its own way." Uh, Mel had mentioned how she, how she thinks it's very heterosexual. What do you think the book is making any kind of commentary, explicitly or implicitly, on human sexuality in in general? Um, that me, I don't know. Me on the on the homoerotic side, I don't necessarily think it's it's saying, "Oh, these are all." boys who are secretly attracted to each other or anything like that. But I do think the way they depict Roger um, tormenting the little ones and kind of going off with them and, and not quite describing it and just the way they are with the pig and everything else. For me, it does tie into this idea of just, I guess, succumbing to primal urges in, in a way that maybe the boys don't know how to sort through yet. And, and so, I don't know. So maybe home erotic's not the correct word because I don't think the kids are thinking about it in terms of necessarily I'm attracted to A, B, or C, but I do feel like there's something awakening in themselves that they are kind of exploring, and maybe they don't they don't know what it all means on the island. But what are what are other thoughts of, about that specifically?
2: I th- I I don't think it's a hetero. <laughs> you said I think it's a heterosexual.
1: Mel said it's the most heteronormative <laughs> book, and she loves it for no. that. And uh, no, 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 get it. no,
2: I just I just think the language is so tactile and erotic. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> it yet. doesn't
2: matter what he is talking about it is to, to down to the use of like his S's. Um, on 67, he did desperate violence to his naked body among the rasping creepers so that blood was sliding over him.
1: And that sounds like but masturbating that's in a way.
2: incredibly <laughs> erotic. Like-
1: I always think of the passage where, where Roger kills the pig and he decides, he, he doesn't, once again, does not have to do this, right? But he the sort of coup de gras is him shoving the staff up the pig's ass. Right. Which is like a, a um, a mother pig. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's, and like then leaning into it, and it's talking about shit running down excrement running down the staff and everything. It's very, um, yeah, it's a, it, I, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very visceral. And, uh, yeah, yeah the, S, the S point is really good. <laughs> I have not thought about that.
2: <laughs> I, the pig, the pig scene was something that I think had embedded itself in my kid brain as a, this is too big for you to touch right now because when I got back to that part, I remembered the specific wording of like Roger found lodgment for his spear, yeah. and I was like lodgment, fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that scene has been described by people as a as like a rape scene. Uh, yeah, so like just something about you know everything is is, is sex except sex with which is power. Chanel Monet quote. And, oh yeah, the whole crazy. book is sex. The whole book is like. <laughs>
1: Is that crazy classic life or screw? No, screwed. Right, that Janelle Monae song. Is it screwed? Is that the is that the the song that has that lyric? I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Jen, Rachel, any any uh <laughs> any sex talk you want to add to this book?
4: It, I did interpret the pig scene the same way, and I think later on there's another reference to you know Roger having the the stick that's pointy at both ends, and I think that yeah, it it's hard not to think of it that way and I think it's just a further just kind of (laughs) gross relationship between dominance and you know fucking something like that's how you're (laughs) like getting control and dominance over something so the the rape analogy I think is is fair and valid and very easy to make
1: I feel like Golding I think it was Golding maybe it was a a critic referred to that scene as, as the something wedding night the as like the Oh yeah, like I, and That's something true. more eloquent than this, but like, like like the Satan's wedding night or something. Like, I don't remember. I'll have to, I'm gonna see if I can can look this up. But uh, the yeah, the red wedding. The, yeah, the red wedding. We're just going to, yeah. Let's just turn this into a Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> pod because there there are no Game of Thrones pods out there. Right. No, but, no. Uh, yeah, Jen, anything you want you want to add to any of that?
3: No, I, you know, I actually didn't really see much sex in it. Although now that you're saying it, I can totally see it. I think and I, as I was reading this, I was very like laser focused in on this like society culture kind of read of it. So like when, like when I thought about the scene with the pig, I have, I did catch the like upper ass, I think he says. Um, but I was thinking more of just like kind of gendering um, and like what the roles of women are in a society which is not exactly what we're talking about but you know
1: but Jen you listen to the audiobook do you mean to say that Wim Golding didn't really draw draw out those S's <laughs> and get real freaky with it
3: I mean he drew out everything so yeah some of the S's were a little long and some of them he would say Mirage and I can't remember the other word that he said it's all very delightful to listen to him read Mira. yeah, <laughs> Mirage yeah Mirage like, Ooh, you know so yeah
2: another I've also read that people think of that scene as the last vestige of like murdering the mother like the pig is in maternal bliss before yeah. they, mm-hmm. they come in
1: the and oedipal wedding her. night i think they call it that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. which mm-hmm. yeah makes it makes yeah. it so awesome. there's
2: there's really just like no hope for them at that point they've murdered the only symbol for a, a maternal instinct or a caretaker or something gentle that they, they yeah. can
3: find yeah and it's interesting because i've recently i recently watched alive and have read that book years ago and so i was kind of like putting this in contrast to them and they do ha- I hadn't really thought too much about like they, they don't have to kill those pigs like they've got plenty of food whereas like in the situ- the situation in alive they don't have any choice and i think that it's it's just interesting to see what choices people will make when they do have options you know
1: is alive good i've actually i know it's about the rugby team right us uh, to eat the corpses
3: it is. Yeah, it's... Okay, I want to say it is very 90s whitewashed, and so that part of it has not aged well. Like, you've got, like, Ethan Hawke playing, like, Chilean... Uh, like, <laughs> South American... Like, so many white actors playing South American people. But the I thought the book was great, and I thought the movie was great. I don't know how um, accurate it is. I think there's maybe been some question about it. But I I loved it. Like, it's, it's really... Yeah, it's about the Chilean soccer team. I think it's the Chilean soccer team who get stranded in the Alps and they can't, not the Alps, some mountain. And so they're just stuck there for like 70 days. So it's a a similar kind of situation, except it's snow and they're stuck in this plane. And so there's like nothing for them to eat.
1: And and they're eating corpses, right? They're not, or are they killing each other and eating each other? No,
3: they're eating people that have already died. Yes.
1: Okay, so that's, yeah, I could do that, I think. It's good, (laughs)
3: yeah, it's not like sensationalized at all. And in fact, I think it's like a really kind of um, compassionate lens to view that through, because I know they had a lot of criticism when they got back from doing that.
1: Man, I wouldn't blame him hell i would I do know. that anyway exactly what are
3: you gonna do you're <laughs> gonna die i mean it's not like they've got like a lagoon and fruit and it's like you can even eat grass if you oh, need to it
1: would be funny if the the alive guys are reading lord of the flies and these kids should have been they
0: should have been happy with fruit like we're eating their friends that was, like the
3: only book they had on the plane was lord of the Flies.
0: <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> it's <a> 50 <laughs> copies of it Hello, this is Jason, co host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80s movies 50 at factormeals.com/80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, All right. well we we've uh,
1: we've touched on this a bit already, but let's dive a little bit more individually into some of these uh, these little lads on an island by themselves and a section we like to call the guests and ghosts. welcome to the guests and ghosts where we talk about what else the characters on on uh, this island and hey there may be um an actual not a ghost but you know there is there could there could be another presence on this island that we'll get into when we talk about a specific character um we've we've talked about a lot already but ralph um He's a leader. He's the stud. He's the charismatic guy. He's the one everyone gravitates toward. Even with Jack being bullying, you can tell right off the get go that people are just more drawn to to Ralph. Is there anything else we want to say about him? I feel like we did have a good conversation, but we can definitely dive into him a little bit more. Um, I will say one thing that's interesting too is that his father's in the military as well, right? Um, I mean, a lot of, I, a lot of these kids' parents, I'm or dads anyway, I'm guessing would be in the military at this time. But just thinking about what we were saying before this is, this is, these are the rules Ralph knows, right? This is what he's seen. Um, But yeah, any, any other, anything else we want to say about Ralph, either his leadership skills or why the kids are drawn to him to begin with or anything like that?
4: Well, and I I think just, you know, biggest, broadest picture, he just represents the idea of civilization and, you know, the world established with all these rules and everything versus, you know, other characters that represent other things. But, do yeah. you
1: guys think that he cuz we you mentioned socialism before do you think he represents a specific political ideology?
3: I think he represents for or four. I don't. I I um other than just like capitalism maybe and um just kind of a system of law law and order kind of which is weird because he's like in contrast with jack who i feel like is kind of a very very extreme version of that you know but no i didn't necessarily read i feel like it's too primitive to really yeah kind of put any kind of leaning to it you know
2: i think he's like um collectivism acting out of forward thinking and, and patience is mm-hmm. like huge and just the ability to plan mm-hmm. um the ability to live outside the present mm-hmm. um i i i do think for me it is like a collectivism a socialism a, a sort of like um we need to respect all of the voices and the pitfalls that come with that are like yeah sometimes you just end up fucking talking and like nothing gets done like the classic liberal like, as you were saying, Dan, sort of passivity that can that can result from that, and we wish that we were more sort of active, but it's it's acting out of want or motivation to get a desirable outcome rather than acting out of fear to avoid an undesirable outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also really love that Ralph's flaws are like he becomes inarticulate. he He can't access the sort of words for what he knows deep in his body to be true which is that they have to keep the fire going. They have to have some semblance of, of forward thinking in order to get rescued. And then we get that great language uh, near the end that keeps repeating about the curtain in his mind that like won't let him remember like the reasoning behind the strength of will and the strength of feeling. And I think that is also just kind of what happens whenever we lose sight of a goal because of groupthink or because we're so kind of emotional over what's, gone on in the discourse that we can't access what the discourse should be getting at the heart of the matter, the curtain in the mind was like, was like very scary and, and interesting to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I, you know, th- I can't, I, I can't find a ton of direct information about Wim Golding's politics per se. Um, he, he did in life <laughs> consider himself to be a monster. He said, William, Gold- like William Golding, <laughs> talked about his demons a lot and there's a lot of speculation self aware yeah, I know, yeah, right? like, like don't we all
3: think we're monsters
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because he, he you know I mean and this is just like an excerpt, excerpt from this this biography that's been a little bit disputed so uh, you know I, I'm not saying any of this is fact right um you know like he 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 called the book boring and crude yeah he called himself a monster his imagination lodged a horde of demons he he was a he was an alcoholic who they talk about this instance where he Tore apart a Bob Dylan puppet in a drunken rage at a friend's house, so, and but once again, I don't know. These relatable, are all kind of like, <laughs> know. Yeah, yeah, right. He uh, heard this voice, you no, know, and so Ralph, no. So there was. I mean, like you said, it's I, I don't know, I, and I, I take some of this with a grain of salt because it's from this, um, you know, a, a lot of it is from this like debatable biography and everything. But I, I guess I'm saying is, Wim Golding seemed to be critical of also the darkness in himself. Um, so you know, and, and so. I, even though we don't know his politics specifically, I'm wondering if you did look at Ralph at least as some kind of idealized version or of, uh, uh, of, of society in general, like you say, rather than, than any kind of a, uh, any kind of political party. How, how do you all feel? I mean, cause we talked about him being the most charismatic, but I do get a little, his othering a piggy right off the bat. I think maybe that's one of the things that maybe makes me realize Ralph isn't perfect and is, is really susceptible. It just, some of the cruelty that the other kids are but yeah what were just your initial reactions to that like just him joining calling him fat and joking about and then and spoil it, spilling, spilling you know, yeah Piggy's secrets and everything like that
4: it just came off to me as just like an insecure response like this, this group of boys that he's meeting for the very first time so just doing something knowing that by doing that he's going to not only show dominance over piggy but kind of relay that to the rest of the group as well
1: yeah. And it's funny too, because what Mel was saying before about how piggy it's, I don't know. It's always funny. Cause I was not like a schoolyard bully by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think when you're a little kid, you do meet these other kids who you can't help, but make fun of. And then you look back on it as an adult and you feel awful for it. Right. You're like, Oh, why did I do that? And I, and I do think <laughs> there's a certain kind of kid that just invites that for not through no fault of their own. Like I, I've, and, and I've seen it too. When I teach, like they're just kids who I think just elicit, hatred from everyone else even the other kind kids i mean i don't know if there's any actual explanation behind that other than just yeah, you know, the cragginess of the that world when
2: he first sees him there's no one else around mm-hmm. but his immediate like he's immediately you can sense that he's like if i'm close to this person it's going to go badly for me <laughs> like if any other person intercedes here and sees me being kind of like associating with this outsider like game over yeah but that's when the stakes are the stakes are socializing as like a 12-year-old boy, right? It's only when the stakes become adult that he realizes that Piggy is actually essential.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think the thing, this is kind of why I kept thinking about Alive, because what I was really expecting in this book was for the first chapter or two or three chapters to be how they got to the island and like this uh, plane crash, you know? And like, I think what the way that he writes it the way that we meet these characters like it's easy to forget that they it's not easy to forget that they're kids but it's easy to forget that they've been like massively traumatized and have been like stuck they're like thrust out of everything that they know and they have to survive on their own and i could see and mel you're kind of giving me a little more sympathy for ralph as we talk about this but like when when you feel so uncomfortable and so out of your element and so terrified, like the, the quickest thing to do is try to get a structure together because there is a little bit of a safety in that. And if he can just kind of feel just the slightest bit of kind of dominance or like superiority to someone, there's comfort in that. And that is an understandable thing. And I think that's why kids do it. You know, like it's, if it's the first day on the playground, you know, you you want to find your group and your group oftentimes is defined by not being a part of another group. And I think that's just kind of a natural reaction. And I think what I would want, because I know I've come down a little hard on the structures, but what I would want is just that we, we would kind of grow a society where we feel more comfortable not having those structures and kind of living in the in-between of knowing who is the leader and who isn't and just kind of, you know.
4: To me, it's also like, It's also a really relatable, like, coping mechanism. You brought up the issue that Mm -hmm. these kids, like, this trauma. So they've been okay, they've been separated from their families because the world is at war. So they were being evacuated somewhere else. And then they're playing. Do we even know where they were going? Like, (laughs) no, they never mention it. But
3: Mm
4: -hmm. so they crash land. All of the adults are, you know, dead, killed, killed in the plane crash. And then, and now what? So there's so many aspects of their life that are just completely, it was traumatic before they crashed and then add that on top of everything else. So it just makes sense that, yeah, immediately you would want to set up these structures, like you said, and just try to make sense of it because otherwise (laughs) there's just, what is there to hope for? Like these, Mm -hmm. just completely have a mental breakdown. It would seem if they didn't have something to kind of hold it all together with.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think we can all relate to like Ralph's, I don't know. Um, the book it does such a good job of pointing out social dynamics and giving them words in a way that is like uh, almost like luxury or like kind of just clinically assigning like there's that great part where, um, after the hunt that has made the fire go out, um, Jack had meant to leave him in doubt implied it like if he's gonna get any meat as an assertion of power but piggy by advertising his omission made more cruelty necessary like because he was like am I gonna get any meat like it was like oh you shouldn't have said anything because like now we know you're gonna get it yeah and like the, all of those things stay in place through whatever trauma these kids have endured it is like the social dynamics of of like boyhood and that's those things are ingrained in a primal way as much as the savagery is it's like we all understand that impulse of like why can't you just follow like you are an outsider to like these socially established norms that say like don't be insufferable and yet you ins- yet you insist you insist on being this insufferable party mm-hmm. and so now you get your consequence yeah. <laughs> like
1: mm-hmm. yeah and I've I, it's funny too because I even have friends who I'll, I'll see just being a certain way online even right and i'm just like what the fuck are you doing you know people who i love and they're awesome but i'm just like you're you're just making life hard for yourself you, you don't know? you don't
2: have to come for me like that <laughs> i see my,
1: my emails my emails bullshit tweets i just can't <laughs> no, totally kidding Aww. just kidding just kidding um, i'm on
2: twitter like i have the conch
1: <laughs> y'all say conch or conch I, I always oh, say conch. I, yeah.
4: oh. I think you're right. Actually, I said conch too earlier, but I think you're right. It's a conch. <laughs> but the, but so I feel Liam like I hear Golding more people say conch. conch throughout mm. the
3: book. Yeah. All right. I'm we'll going to go with that. Cool, but yeah. I would always said conch. It's his book. So I'm going to go. With
4: that. Yeah. I've got the conch. All right. He
1: well, is, well I,
3: as a former music teacher, the... I loved the scene where Jack learns to use his diaphragm to make <laughs> sound on an instrument. <laughs> I'm, like, yes. I'm sorry. I said yes, Jack. Yeah. You got choir,
1: boys. <laughs> If you, oh and the um, choir boys you, too
3: and they turn evil so
1: that was. i uh, love it yeah well yeah let's true. actually talk about let's talk about jack the leader of the choir boys and the eventual you know leader of the boys on the island if you watch also the um the 60s movie where which is excellent and they most of the, it's weird it's very true to the book but most of the dialogues improvised so i don't know it just has a very unique feel about it but they sing the choir boys sing this um oh man, I don't know what it's actually called, but it's going like Kyrie, Kir-ay, Kyrie. It's like a kind of theme in the movie and it keeps coming up. And then when Simon dies, they play a really slowed down version. of. I don't know. That's really good. Anyway, <laughs> Jack. thought. What, the most interesting thing about Jack to me is that when we first meet him, Golding talks about how he's, conventionally a lot not as attractive as ralph right and there does seem to be this unlikability toward him when ralph becomes the leader um and not to make i don't want to make this a direct analogy because i i think it's like so obvious but thinking about a, a politician like donald trump right <laughs> who i think his whole political career was fueled by people making fun of him and not liking him i, I don't know what, what are your thoughts on that with jack it's interesting to me that he in a way doesn't get bullied but is viewed or cast sort of in the same light as piggy at least physically to an extent but then eventually does you know overtake ralph to be become the leader
2: what's weird because he is the leader of the he's the leader of the choir boys and he does seem to be the most invested in his initial appearance in preserving uniforms preserving lines preserving order um i guess that order leaves him at the head of the chain right um but and he's he's very quick to be like, well, my lads will be hunters. You know, we're gonna be kind of like the most. Uh, what is the, what is the word I'm looking for? Like,
4: cool. Like just the coolest, coolest. <laughs> With job. The cool guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and they just want the the, mo- the most accolades doing something that like none of the other you know, especially the little kids, like something that none of them can do. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah
1: i oh, know you guys you, you, we all have, have lots of, lots of jazz versus, so you go like, for
3: speech chance. team <laughs> <laughs> speech team captain which is so interesting because they're the choir you know yeah they think- say <laughs> sing.
2: <laughs> they singing boys
3: but man in a choir you have to breathe together and you have to like be really mm-hmm. intimately connected on this kind of like intellectual and spiritual and also like visceral level to like be a good choir and i'm I'm not going to get my choir nerd on. But. but that
2: that makes sense because Jack is the body and Ralph is the mind mm-hmm. to some extent.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think the thing I find most interesting about Jack because I, I find him, especially given the last like f- four or five years, um, I find him such an interesting kind of exploration of i don't know if i would say toxic masculinity but just masculinity itself and like what validation is and the need for validation and the need for power and the scenes that always stand out to me are the scenes like when when he's embarrassed because he loses the election and it's just like that is just such a blow to his essential self because he defines himself through his position yeah and he like that's how he understands who he is and when that's taken away and that's what i think so much masculinity and toxic masculinity is it's just understanding and i want to be really clear when i say masculinity i don't necessarily mean like i don't want to say that as a gendered thing i want to say it as more of a construct you know um i just don't want anybody yelling.
1: yeah well yeah like the pat yeah i think it's it's hinting at this power structure, right? Well, because we even mm. see Jack, I mean, who becomes the de facto villain of the novel or one of the villains of the novel, definitely the the big bad for lack of a better word. It does. I think it does still stem from insecurity and, mm-hmm. and, and, and being put in this place where he feels vulnerable. And I think the only reason he wrestles power and, asserts himself as the leader of the hunters is because he's so hurt, right. By not getting elected. Um, yeah, no, so I know what you, what, what you mean, uh, Jen, uh, do y'all think yeah. that so like in, in my place on suckling, I have, it's like what, 20 years later, I think. And I have, I have Jack become a cop because I think that, I don't know, I just think, <laughs> oh, he yeah, would,
2: Big time. yeah
1: it's his way to sort, in, in my play, he sort of is making the other boy, he has made the other boys forget about everything that happened on the island and lied so that, that no one thinks they, they were violent to each other. They think it was just a fire that got out of control. And I think to me, yeah, Jack is someone who totally gets off on power. But what do you, I don't know, do you think there would be any sense of remorse for him at the end of the book? Especially because when the other boys come running out of the tree line, when they see the naval officer, there does seem to be this, this sort of, dropping of the game right like the dropping of this fantasy idea of being savages and, and everything like like i always wonder oh does jack is jack a sweet boy outside of this that's something i was ponder.
2: no i think you're right about the insecurity and the mm-hmm. he is an individualist model that operates under the facade of care but when again it's a it's motivated by fear mm-hmm. it's like i'll take care of you because if i don't we're going to die and if i take care of you you better do everything i say and, like, the act of taking care has nothing to do with communal caretaking. It has to do with, like, destroying other things mm-hmm. to, like, uh, I, guess, I guess dole out the pig meat. But, like, everything is ritualized in a way that serves him as an individual so that he maintains his grip on the public. Um, and it's not at all about ralph's vision of like we all need to get rescued it is for all of us um it's it's less about being admired
4: i I do think there's this interesting idea of gratification and like the need for immediate gratification that you see with jack because he's it seems like he's always more concerned about like hunting versus the fire and like yeah the fire could save us but we don't know when but if Mm -hmm. i kill this pig now like we have meat and Mm -hmm. it's exciting and it's something that you know everybody's gonna like cheer me on about and the mm-hmm. same thing about like the shelters and the water and the coconuts like people go on to do other things because that's more exciting at the moment and yeah. I, and
2: more comforting yeah like it just it's just a way of getting like instant Comfort. Yeah, getting yeah. Th- getting
4: through the day and not getting like really depressed about this really dire situation that might have no end in sight. So, and then people, you know, they they lean to him because of that because what he's offering is more you know, enticing in that moment, which I think is really Mm -hmm. interesting. Then what, you know, Ralph is like, hey, let's build shelters. And they're like, no, but it's sunny right now. Why would we want to do that?
3: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I feel like if Ralph, like Ralph is very concerned with the fire, which is a very important thing. And it's, it's like, you need somebody who is keeping your eye on that. But like, one of the things we talk about, I talk about in therapy is like anger is often the easiest emotion to express because it's action oriented. Mm -hmm. And so if Jack has this massive like fear of like, I'm going to die on this Island, it's, easier to like deal with that fear or kind of express it through anger at a pig or through anger at somebody else than just sitting and staring at a fire and making sure it doesn't go out like how long especially when it's unknown it's like what we were all doing in the pandemic like how long (laughs) like when when you don't know when it's gonna end you know it's just that's hard and I can understand him wanting to just do something like I don't know if I would say he's a sweet boy but I feel like (laughs) like I think because you know he he definitely like flocks really quickly to that role. But I do think that there would be a level of like of shame and awareness when they are back in civilization. Like, yeah, you killed a kid, two kids. I I mean, even if you weren't directly responsible, like this is real. This isn't a game anymore. And when you're outside Mm -hmm. of that bubble, I think I like to think he would have some awareness. You know?
4: Yeah. I wonder if it would be remorse or like if part of him would be like a little like bummed, like bummed that it was over. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. like it's about like he found
2: control so easily because of the what you guys are saying like about just kind of like what can I do right now? Yeah, and that's Mm -hmm. a way of like asserting control. Dan, your cop analogy has me thinking about the shield, which I'm watching right now. (laughs) And basically, uh, Ralph is Aceveda and (laughs) uh, Jack is uh,
1: Vic. It's kind of funny. Cause I'm well, actually, it's funny at the recommendation of, uh, of, of your friends, Mel, um, we started watching survivor like for like all 40 oh, seasons. God. So, so we're on like season five right now. So I, and I don't know, it's not, um, obviously I think Lord of the flies is different from survivor, but the the idea too, of like the activities you see, you see, I feel like every season on survivor, you see a lot of, um, Oh, well, this person's nice, but they just want to view this as vacation do the fun stuff. And we're out there doing the work and everything. And it's, um, yeah, I, don't, I, I always think about that. Uh. Yeah. Just, just that debate in the book. Cause you, cause on one hand you could argue, okay, well, what, what Jack and the hunters are doing is good, but once again, they don't need the pig, right? Like that. Yeah. It would probably make more sense. I mean, to keep the
4: protein body. is yeah. good. So, yeah, that's wow. true. I, I think yeah. and I think they do touch on the fact that like, oh yeah, just eating all this fruit is giving them like crazy diarrhea.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah. What do they say taking short? Is that they say oh yeah, yeah.
4: just taking short. The little ones
1: are taking that out. They're taking they're taking short behind the or they're yeah, you know, if you're what to Wizard says he's like, he's a go if you're gonna take short, do it with some fruit leaves or or something like that. Oh, yeah, so, don't
3: do it next to the fruit. Yeah, don't do, yeah. don't
4: yeah. do it by the fruit trees. Well, I, uh
1: yeah, sorry, go ahead, Rachel.
4: I was just gonna say with with Jack too. I think it's, you know, Golding is touching on the fact that like, you know, humanity being just inherently they're having this evil part of them. And if these structures weren't in place, that how quickly people can just descend into, you know, embracing their embracing their darkness and exhibiting it in ways which, you know, resonated a little bit differently than I expected it to upon this reread, gotta be honest.
3: Yeah, yeah, because it's partly, it's it's like there is no structure, but I mean, they do elect a leader. So at a certain point, it's not necessarily that they don't have a structure, it's that they decide the structure isn't important yeah, anymore, yeah. which is a big thing that I think we've seen recently is w- laws only exist if there are people to enforce them. And when there is nobody to enforce the structure you've imposed, then it essentially doesn't exist. Hmm. Or well, whoever I- has the biggest stick enforces, you know.
1: Let's move on to someone who uh, who does not have the biggest stick ever in the novel, I don't think. And that is <laughs> so Piggy. Um, mm-hmm. do you,
4: Whose real name we never learned. I know. I was just I thinking know. about that. It's so oh, sad. Oh, you're right. Wait, yeah. he, he doesn't say it even at the... Oh, man. Yeah. Wild. Mm-hmm.
1: What were your initial impression? Like, we talked about, right? Oh, oh this... this this kid we know we shouldn't pick on, but he just can't help but annoy everyone he comes into contact with right off the bat. Even, even the people who are sympathetic to him with the exception of Simon, Simon's like the, the one pure character in this book. What was your initial reaction? One of annoyment? Like, I mean, piggy is very interesting to me, obviously I'm not bored, but I'm not annoyed in like from reading him. Cause I, I, I like his weird vernacular. I like all the character details he has about you know, the specs and his, his, grandmother and his asthma and everything but like when you're reading the book do you feel like you want to join in with the boys in a weird way or just piggy like get under your skin in that kind of and i don't know if anyone's ever watched south park kyle has this like really annoying mm-hmm. cousin who everyone who everyone can help but hate and it, it's kind of that kind of thing i think he has asthma too on the show but uh, yeah just, did anyone was anyone reading against piggy i guess is my question
3: oh
2: I, I think Piggy's really annoying. Like, I don't root <laughs> against Piggy because I think I think as adults, he's actually the most adult character in the book. Like, he thinks the way that an adult thinks at, at certain times. But the most annoying thing about Piggy is that he is vocal about feeling rejected, and that only makes the rejection repeat. Um, like, he's constantly being like, don't leave me behind, or what should I do? And it's... It, his feelings are of his insecurity are so plainly visible, which is like not a thing you're supposed to show as a boy mm. ever um, that he, I don't know. He's just embarrassing. He's an embarrassment. And like, as, yes, as a reader, I find him very annoying. Um, but I think that's like very genius of the, of the book because you still have to respect his ideas and the way he thinks, while also being like, God, can you just fucking shut up? Like,
1: yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of an equivalent, like a famous person equivalent to that, someone whose ideas we love and that maybe I I, I align with, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I just can't stand them. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll 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 let y'all know if anyone comes to mind. I feel like there is someone, there's got to be someone on social media who, I'm like, oh, I I agree with them, but they're also super super annoying. Um, yeah, Rachel, what about you? What yeah. were your, your thoughts? Just your initial impressions of Piggy.
4: I mean, I didn't hate, I don't think I had quite as harsh or, you know, quite the same reaction to that. I, I mean, I I kind of pitied him (laughs) and I found him a little bit just endearing in his obnoxiousness and just kind of saw him as like the, the sense of reason and logic and approaching things from a different way. But I do, I do agree that his kind of desperate need for security and just what's the word not like affirmation but just knowing that he's going to be looked after was yeah not doing him any favors by any mean he was basically hate to say asking for it but he, sh- he should have learned a bit quicker i did appreciate he that what he-, he
1: got yeah no, no
4: <laughs> be thrown off a cliff uh i do appreciate that he was able he his character did stand up for himself sometimes and was willing to speak up in front of the crowd um, and make his voice heard. And some things, he was also essential. Like they literally wouldn't have the fire without him, without his glasses. And I think that was a way of kind of re reasserting his value in the group.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, if they did follow him, I mean, they, yeah, they would have gotten, I mean, they do get off the island in the end, but you know what I mean? They would have gotten off by, le- by less uh, violent means by the end of it. Yeah. Jen, what were you going to say? <laughs>
3: Well, it's like there's there's Piggy as a concept mm-hmm. and like kind of an archetype or like a representative of like a, a piece of society. And then there's Piggy as an actual human being that you are living with every day and hearing talk and like interacting with. And I think like when I look at Piggy, like it, it is wrong the way I think they are cruel to him. And I think um, like I i Think he is probably the most other character in the book, which is not good. And so, as a concept, I think that's wrong. And I have a lot of sympathy for Piggy. But then, like the day to day dialogue that we hear from him, like, I there is kind of it's annoying, you know, and I do kind of get that. I think I have a lot of sympathy for him right off the bat because you know, just as somebody who's dealt with a lot of insecurity, like it's, I could really relate to him and to not wanting to be called by that nickname. And the thing that struck me too, was when he was like, yeah, and I'm the only one in school that has asthma. And I just remember like really wanting to have braces when I was a kid. Cause I just thought <laughs> oh that would be really God, cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah. you, and it was,
1: you wanted braces Before as a I kid? got them.
3: I had them, like, I had them on the bottom, and this was before, but I was like, I want to have red hair and freckles and braces, and I just want to, like, look as, as I guess, unique as I could, and so it's <laughs> like there's that, like, he's leaning into what makes him special, knowing that he does not have the, like, the charisma of somebody like Ralph. You know?
4: I, I guess his obnoxiousness is kind of, I mean, even as adults, there's, like, rules and things that, like, we know we should do, and, like, yeah, we should, you, you know, we shouldn't necessarily do this, and, like, we should you know, take care of this and save for this. And that's annoying. Like that logic and those that reasoning can sometimes be really annoying to have to like abide by these things. You know, it's the right thing to do, but sometimes you just don't
3: really want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I was going to say this for Kings Dominion, but it's like that scene with Carrie in the locker room. And it's like, we know we should be kind to her and help her. But it's like, but this this thing we've been told is taboo is in our face now. So it's easier just to get mad at her and just, You know, send her away, and she's not friends with a lot of these people because, like, they don't like her; they don't get along. You know, so I think there's a human element to wanting to kind of other her, also.
1: Yeah, poor. Neither
2: neither Carrie nor, I mean, maybe Carrie a little bit, but Piggy doesn't have the good sense to be ashamed of himself for asking the way, or acting the way that
1: he acts. What is interesting because in Carrie Sue Snell does have that same attitude toward her as Ralph. Like he, she joins in on Mm -hmm. making fun of Carrie in the beginning and then feels bad for it. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. spent and then tries to make, make amends. Um, yeah, do, when Piggy, obviously, Piggy's, uh, spoiler alert, if you're re- listening to this, um, he does, his head gets crushed by a boulder at the, at the end of the, or rather, he gets hit by a boulder. I
2: am glad, I had the memory of, like, oh, there's this on-the-nose thing of the character named Piggy who gets killed like a like a pig, but that is not what
1: happened. <laughs> <laughs> Conflating that Well, yeah, what were were you shocked by that when it did happen? Were you saddened by it? I mean, it, did it feel, I mean, there's the obvious symbolism, right, of the conch, the conch, whatever you want to call it, shattering, and with that all all of the order on the Island, right? I think that's the moment where everything just descends into ple- complete chaos. But we, especially those of you who just read it for the first time, were you all shocked or saddened by his death?
3: I googled what who dies in Lord (laughs) of the Flies like probably ten years ago, (laughs) so I knew he was gonna die, so I wasn't I wasn't too shocked by it. But I think the thing that kind of struck me as I was reading it is that there there's such this fixation on killing pigs, and his nickname is Piggy. So like the amount of fear and like insecurity he would be living with constantly, like everybody wanting to yell like kill the pig. You know that that's more Beauty and the Beast than. I did while reading it this time because I hadn't read it in
4: so long like as it was going I was like oh wait are they gonna kill and eat him like because I couldn't (laughs) remember I couldn't remember and as it was like going along I I legitimately was concerned I was like wait did I completely like forget that they this is what happens and so I was I was actually kind of relieved that he died the way that he did and they didn't actually just end up eating him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's no real actual... I mean, they talk with Simon's death about clawing and biting and things, but there's no full-on cannibalism in this. It would be funny if Piggy... Once he realizes there are pigs on the island, he's just like, "Ah, shit! Like, why did I have to have right. this nickname? <laughs> yeah. Out of mm-hmm. all the nickname, why couldn't they call me Kitty or something Kitty. instead?"
2: Yeah. It's, it's like again, it's like he doesn't have the good sense to not share the name. Like, just don't tell yeah. anyone that that was your nickname, right? Like, he's too honest because um, he's like, "I don't want to be called this one thing." Like, do you mm-hmm. not know how society works? It's I like, I thought his death was was awful. Like, I in 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 like a it really affected me
1: way. Yeah. I remember as a little kid, even, even with Golding doing such a good job of it in a weird way, making piggy annoying and everything. I remember feeling just very upset by that at the end. Like it felt Simon's death, not as much, I think because it's somewhat accidental and because Simon has just such this, seriousness and this prophetic nature about him that I feel like he almost knew he was going to die. I mean, he doesn't say that, but I just feel like Simon Simon just seems so much more aware of things in a way than piggy does. So it doesn't seem quite as just tragic. Like Simon, I don't know, Simon has a resignation to him, this biblical kind of resignation that isn't makes his death not quite as shocking piggy. On the other hand, I remember that just felt so unfair reading that as a little kid I, I, and, and just the manner it happens in too, like getting knocked by a boulder, onto the shoreline and having your brains go everywhere. I mean, it's, uh, and, and also to this idea of just show showing how on this Island, how useless his brains were, right. Even though they could have mm-hmm. saved everything. It's like, Oh no, it's just matter. It's meat at the end of it. So yeah, I was also very, um, Even though I I looked at Lore of the Flies as kind of this fantasy when I was a little kid, I was like, okay, Piggy, yeah, Piggy's death is very, very upsetting. And it it still rings as upsetting uh, to me today. Um, Anything else you want to say about Piggy before we move on to our next? uh, I would say the next, the third of the Holy Trinity of this novel.
2: Piggy gets the the most ringing endorsement by the end. He's called like the wise old friend or whatever. Mm -hmm.
3: Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Poor poor one out for Piggy. (laughs) And then, no. <laughs> um, well so the yeah the third i would say, and there's a, a couple other supporting characters we'll talk about after this but i, th- I think the, of the the big three of this novel right it, it's uh ralph jack um or i'm oh, sorry four i can't even count <laughs> the the holy square of this novel uh ralph <laughs> jack piggy and of course simon um who I, I mean, it's such an obvious analogy. He's kind of the Christ figure of this novel, right? Especially mm-hmm. because he literally faces Satan head on with talking to this severed pig head. Um, there was actually deleted, I, I've never read this text, but apparently one of the things Golding got asked to delete was Simon meeting a mysterious figure on the island, different from the pig, that was supposed to be God. So I think he was, Golding was really leaning into this holy aspect of Simon. For you all, this and this is maybe maybe a question just for the book in general. I think of all the characters, Simon has the most obvious symbolism associated with him. Did that bother you at all? Did it ever feel too heavy-handed or like the book ha- hadn't earned that kind of, um, just that kind of obviousness when it came into its imagery?
2: I just wish he was more of a character rather than a vessel. I do think it's... Yeah, he's a he's device. Just, yeah,
1: more, yeah. More so. his
2: whole function is to let the messages speak through him and his his only defining characteristic outside of that is that he has fits he's like presumed to be epileptic and that just makes him more mysterious and quote batty like people just think he's weird um I do think he's legitimately supernatural which is another thing I'd forgotten about the book that at one point he has a legitimate like vision or prophecy when he turns to Ralph and says like in italics I just think you'll get back all right like <laughs> there's this weird moment that is like clearly like the bit of supernatural prophecy that Golding left in, like he, like he, because it's a very kingian. And like, I, this is one thing that we will probably talk about. He's the like seer, the savant. He has this like disability that imbues him with a power. Um, so I, I, I do think I love the scenes with the pig head. I love what Simon sees, but I wish that there was just more of Simon the boy.
1: Yeah. He, yeah. He almost does seem the most adult by design, obviously, but um, yeah, I think I like what you said about him just being more of a vessel or, or a device. I mean, and even even the way he interacts with the little ones, right? Like he's he I feel like everyone always wants to listen to Simon. And he never has, despite having this awful death, he doesn't have a lot of direct conflict with the other boys ever. I mean, he is almost this like messianic uh, uh, figure. And I completely agree about the book being actually supernatural. I even think when he's talking to the pig, I feel like it's weird because Simon's realization, right, that he wants to tell the other kids is that oh the beast is just this downed parachuter it's just a man it doesn't he's he's this corpse right so it's weird to me that simon's final revelation is that oh no there's more logic and realism to all this than we think it is but at the same time i agree with you i feel like those pig scenes to me feel like he is actually talking to satan embodied in this severed pig head and maybe both of those things can be true right like maybe he maybe he see the veil is lifted and he kind of sees into this other world that's more associated with traditional good and evil in the bible but then also realizes that the man on the mountain this parachuter isn't a part of all that but that's just a corpse um
2: yeah that's jesus like jesus did supernatural stuff but also saw the truth like i think that he, yeah yeah he's that, just tapped into some other shit
1: yeah 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 that might hey i'll have what simon's having am i right everyone <laughs> um I, jen, having
2: heat exhaustion <laughs> A lot yeah,
1: yeah seriously <laughs> yeah yeah heat exhaustion and seizures no actually i don't want those things uh, yeah jen what are your your thoughts on uh, on old simon
3: well i kind of agree with what we're saying i feel like he feels the least kind of married to his own agenda which i think kind of feels refreshing at times but yeah he he and I like him as kind of a bearer of knowledge because it sets up this rejection of knowledge later. So I think I like him more as kind of a plot design device rather than like an actually fleshed out thing in the way that like, cause he is kind of, he is the, the contradiction to, um, to everybody else in the way Piggy kind of is too, but Piggy is a real character, you know, and has more kind of nuance to him. And, you know, and I think I I could probably go down a big (laughs) rabbit hole about like who is present, who is, given the role of caretaking and why that like caretaking is not valued and so that's why these people are given these roles but I think what I like the most about Simon is I think he's just extremely empathetic and like aware of what's going on and aware of who he is and who everyone else is and unfortunately that that often is doesn't turn out well for people who are very in tune with the toxicity of others you know
2: there is that one moment where he goes on his own to his little thicket where it's just simon and he just wants to be alone mm-hmm. in his thicket I and that like that's simon. a moment of characterization that is really lovely yeah, yeah. I,
4: was, I was gonna bring that up i think it's i think it's interesting how he separates himself and is kind of not indifferent but isn't super vocal about like choosing a side and yeah he just kind of removes himself from the situation and is like, all right, you guys, whatever, I'm going to just go <laughs> over here and meditate or do whatever and talk to a pig and just kind of, yeah, separate <laughs> himself from the madness. And I, I do think that's one of the more interesting things about him.
1: Yeah. Because and- I, you almost want to lump him in with quote unquote, the good kids, right. With, mm-hmm. you know, with, uh, uh, piggy and Ralph and, and in the beginning, Sam and Eric, but when you think about it, I'm like, well, yeah, Simon, I think he has a good worldview and uh, a very harmonious worldview, but yeah, he doesn't really have like any fights with, uh, with, um, sorry, with Jack or anything. Right. And not that I remember anyway, he not like he,
4: confrontations anyways, not like actually faced any yeah. face faced. Kind of yeah. It's like, he was in the choir though. Right. Like
2: Jack knows him.
1: Oh, that's right. He is one of and the, he's choir like, boys. oh yeah,
2: he has those spells, you know, he's going to faint or yeah. whatever.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because he gets separated from that uh, so quickly. Um, if you watch the 1990 movie, or uh, maybe it's 1991, I can't remember, um, James Badgedale from The Departed plays him. It's like one of his early oh, roles. Yeah, he's in something else. He's in a horror thing coming out too, I think, James Badgedale um anyway and balthazar getty plays um plays ralph uh not that it, i mean it's it's a visually interesting movie i i will say mm-hmm. that anything we want to else we want to say about simon before we uh before we move, can continue on the character train
2: i i find the preciousness that to, that the writing takes on around him a little annoying especially the scene where his body is Varied
1: out to sea oh i kind of like i don't know i think is that's such a I, I do like how it goes right from we don't know what's happening we don't even know if it's simon that's getting killed to oh it's this holy boy who d- mm-hmm. doesn't because golding talks about like the lights in the sea or the lights in the He's sea like, like, yeah even these fucking
2: jellyfish <laughs> are like oh our martyr and they like <laughs> take him to
1: the ocean it would be funny just picturing a bunch of jellyfish like extending their tentacles and just you know, gliding yeah, it's out like, like <laughs> literally
2: <laughs> what happened. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the symbolism does lay on a, a little thick, especially when it comes to uh, to Simon's role. His death in the in the '60s version really is quite brutal. The kid, the little kid actor, just makes this scream that really sticks with you, and then it goes right to this peaceful thing of him floating out, um, no jellyfish. You know, I don't think they had the budget. For <laughs>
2: they didn't have the budget.
4: Yet, but yeah. They do have some <laughs> choir
1: music that uh, that comes on. Well, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum from Simon is Roger, um, who. I mean, in a way, he is kind of like Dark Simon in that he we don't get a ton of characterization about him as a boy as much as a vessel, right? He's obviously the Jackson enforcer. Um, they do they do have that really interesting scene where he they talk about him evolving from like throwing sand at the little ones to stones and just this this he's the one who kind of realizes the rules don't apply and that he can do whatever he wants. We do get this inner monologue, but I don't feel we get much about him as a boy before that conversion to darkness um but yeah what are y'all's thoughts on on roger
4: i mean he's just like pure brute strength kind of awful
1: yeah he's He's like
2: a sadist he's so i love that we don't get anything before then that he's quiet and just kind of like lurking and and Mm -hmm. not overtly sinister and it is only when he is sure that things have collapsed and he witnesses the permission given by authority that he just goes full sadist i i think he's really scary yeah to me he is he is like you know the dick cheney to jack's george w <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's like you put that person in power so that other person can fucking throw a rock at you and trounce you off a
1: cliff. when it's it, it's funny you think about the um how piggy gets killed right because roger moved from oh, well he didn't move he he started off by throwing stones once he realized he could get away with it in a way he's still mm-hmm. throwing stones he's just yep. throwing a very big stone um yeah 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 Jen what were you gonna say about uh about Roger
3: well it's yeah it's kind of like Mel what you were saying like he's the reason that you need to have laws you know and he's the reason that you need to have a structure and it's funny like I think the motivation even as brutal as Jack gets I think his motivation for wanting to have order is really kind of to feel safe and to have stability and I think I keep wanting to like. He reminds me so much of Patrick O'Conner that I keep like thinking Oof. about that. Um, but like, he wants the order so he knows how to exploit it, and so that he can go outside of it and and just terrorize people. And yeah, I think he, he's terrifying.
1: Imagine if you were in class with Roger from Lord of the Flies and Patrick O'Conner. Uh, you Ugh. said this, but
3: Roger be- wouldn't do anything
2: until.
1: I yeah so. I, get, I mean he's and he's
2: a he's a choir boy is, right
1: like so i get the idea that he think so. probably behaved yeah. before before school one and and also too i love that through roger's eyes in the climax of the novel we start to see how dehumanizing his worldview has become like when he's looking down at all them he talks he talks about piggy just looking like a fat blob like a speck like i feel like he we do the insight we do get into Roger's point of view. We we see how oh the his time on the island really and I don't know maybe it was there beforehand right maybe he always looked at people if, with this disconnection and and didn't view them as humans. And <laughs> he as gets objects. too
2: comfortable with it too quickly. Like I see, think, it's so think it was dark there. When yeah. he- when he like walks out and Jack is like trying to prod someone with a stick, but he's like, that's not the way <laughs> like it's immediately like head torturer, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. The head, yeah. And for I'm in a, it's in a my... good
2: point. Um, Jen that like, it's not an absence of laws. It's just really harsh capital laws <laughs> that will like mm-hmm. that Roger wants. Like he, he wants rules. They're just the rules that, let him torture
1: people. Yeah, I, I love him being Dick Cheney. That's really funny to <laughs> me. Um, yeah, no, my play, I, I made Roger the main character, but he's forgotten about everything and he's just this kind of bumbling you know, fool. not like, like a
2: serial killer.
1: No. Well, I mean, as the play goes on, right. Shit comes out like as, as they, the whole thing is that, uh, his wife makes a roast pig for Christmas dinner and that's what brings back all of his memories oh. and then he comes and he, yeah. And yeah, stuff Ooh. happens. Um, but yeah, like, I, I like this idea of, Oh, what if, what if the most savage guy off the Island just became this total, you know, nine to five or bumbling sort of mm-hmm. inept fool, but, but yeah, but I, I do think Roger's true nature regardless of the scenario he's in right probably is closer to what we eventually see by the by the end of the novel um anything else to say about roger or or do we want to run away from him because he's big and scary
2: (laughs) i just find him very i really do find him super unsettling yeah does he even and have... it's, it's the fact that he lurks for so long before emerging as like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what happens yeah.
1: when. <laughs> I did, I'm trying to think. He and he, he also has very few lines in the book too. Always, mm-hmm. you know, always into killers who don't talk quite as much. Um, <laughs> and, well, and the then le- he goes...
4: He goes back into society, right? Cause he gets rescued and then they just take him home and he's he has just, a taste for it. Now. Yeah. And he's just, <laughs> he's, he's just out there.
1: In this horror movie, they show him in the boat at the end, just zooming in on him, like, smiling, <laughs> all the, all the torture he's going to, he's going to do. The graduate, what are you going to do now? He's like, I think I'm going to run for office. (laughs) Puts a fine point on it. Those are, those are Golding's lost pages. Um, Well, I think the two last proper characters to talk about, and then we can, we should maybe touch on some of the, for lack of a better word, the other devices in the book are uh, Sam and Eric, the twins who start off very much, um, you know, they're just nice boys. They're on Ralph and Piggy's side. And then they they sort of unwittingly go over to Jack's side. And I don't get the idea that they ever full-on convert like in the way that a lot of the other boys do. I feel I feel like they're being forced by Roger to-
4: They are tortured. Yeah, they're yeah, being it's tortured, like right? survival. They don't yeah. really have a choice.
1: They they were my favorite characters as a kid, just because they seemed so caught in the middle of everything, and it, which I think I may be related to as, as a 10-year-old. Like not a, I wasn't bullied per se, but I wasn't, you know, <laughs> I wasn't the alpha of the class either. So I don't know. I think I always just had a lot of affinity for uh, Sam and Eric. But yeah, what did y'all think about them?
2: They're comic relief and- it's funny to listen to their to the like read their dialogue. Um, I guess I do also think like it's another example of a non typical person. Like they have one personhood to them, which is mentioned by the end in a more literal sense, where he's like, "We should have the we should have them switch like shifts so that it's two people watching the fire instead of like mm-hmm. what is essentially one." But I think we're given like we just know that's impossible. Like they just can't do that. They are like one being. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that's interesting to me, just again, from like this band of misfits perspective, you've got like this, the epileptic, you've got the, you've got piggy. And then you've got like these twins that can't do anything separate from, from one another, which can seem like a limitation, but is,
4: is interesting. I mean,
1: even their name, right. They start spelling it Sam and Eric. It's not, it's yeah. never I love Sam that. and Eric. I thought, yeah. that was, mm-hmm.
3: I thought that was really cute.
1: Yeah. 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 They, they're, they're nice. I don't know. I always love a good supporting character like that, that as well. Jen, what did you think about Sam and Eric?
3: they i i liked them they seem to me kind of like the mob which i realized saying it in this book means something different but they're just kind of they they are the persuadables and they go with the flow and they're very well intentioned but yes yeah 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 but i mean that's the way like that's a reflection of a lot of people in that yeah. we interact with is just like i'm just gonna go with the way that is easiest for me in the moment and a lot of times i'll stand up for my principles but not all the times because it's fucking hard and you know, I'm tired, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. And I like too that they never full, like, they, they never vocally agree with anything Jack and Roger are doing, right? Like, I, I think it would have been easy just to show them full-on just vocally as well as physically in their actions adopting everything i i like that they're mm-hmm. still like hey ralph like get out of here we don't want to hurt you you know the, um mm-hmm. I, I think that yeah that makes them endearing all the way till the end and i don't the, the way they talk about roger's torture too is really freaky to me oh just,
2: it's awful you don't even know what he does to mm-hmm. them but he must he does it twice right like one to like jo- make them join the tribe and once to get them to reveal yeah um ralph's location and i thought that at one point like Roger might have like separated them or hurt one of them in front of the other. Like that was the the big way to get Ralph Ralph's location. But I don't know if there's any proof of that in the book.
3: Well, that's something that Stephen King does a lot or he's mm-hmm. done it several times, like uh, the twins in the Green Mile. And there was something else we were talking about just recently where like hurting the other one to get to play on that empathy, which is just makes him even scarier.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think that well, maybe he makes them hurt each other. For for all I know too, you know, there's yeah, lots of ways. Rogers to
2: fucked up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, so nasty. Well, so I think those are all the um, those are all like the proper characters to talk about. We do have a couple of of people who are there just for devices. You know, we talk about the the pilot from the beginning. We talk about the the parachuter who gets flown down and I think is there to make Simon realize that this this is all a charade. And then there's the navy officer at the end who. Is criticizing the voice for um, or the boys for fighting, but then obviously we look back and we see the adults doing, doing the exact same thing, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what did what did the rest of y'all? Uh, uh, anything we want to say about those beyond that?
2: Should, I mean, there's the little ones also, the mm-hmm. little ones. Oh yeah, they're the, just like pure id. I,
4: guess. I was gonna say little ones are actually kind of and,
1: annoying to me in <laughs> a yeah, yeah. weird way right? because they're just doing dirty shit the the whole time. They 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 just seem really <laughs> annoying to take care of.
4: I I also just kind of saw them as like, you know, just people who are just existing and moving about in society, (laughs) but not really like taking part or like engaging with like the process or what's kind of going on. They're just off doing their own thing and just hoping that it all works out. They (laughs) do start start
2: to mimic it though. There's like that one part where like one is kind of like bullying the other one and, oh like, yeah kind of listening to him cry yeah you know?
3: right. <laughs> well and if you think about it like all of the older boys like that's what they do when they're at home they watch their parents like manage these structures and now they are in a situation where they're mimicking and i could see a sequel where all the older boys have killed themselves off in this massive war of dominance and the little ends it's like little In island you know where they start to reenact all of this stuff too so I don't know. They they exist to me as need a lot of times, and maybe mm-hmm. it's just because I've come off a year of no child care, and I'm like oh. stop pooping yeah. on the fruit, little ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't poop on the fruit.
1: Yeah, they're just little. They they just can't gross me out sometimes. You know, they're just yeah. <laughs> just little feral feral yeah. children. Yeah, <laughs> one one of them. They are
2: also innocents. I mean, there is the one that disappears and and dies. I was going to say yeah. the one who, he.
1: I think it's implied he dies in the fire, right? Yeah. yeah yeah that,
3: that was really chilling
1: yeah yeah um one and i think too it yeah it's it says i think it says a lot that piggy and simon are the ones who get along with them too right i think because they gravitate mm-hmm. toward the more the more innocent characters um well unless there's any other any characters to touch on uh, we can move on to uh, one of our spooky categories if uh, <laughs> that's do you a, not want
2: a... to talk about the lord of the
4: Flies?
1: Oh, I guess we should. Yeah. Hey, he's Satan, right? <laughs> did, See,
4: it's a good well, crossover you, character into this next section. Yeah. He's
1: Randall Flag. Well, yeah, well, I was going to say what, <laughs> when y'all first read the book, did you, did you connect that that's what that was supposed I mean, Lord of the Flies is a phrase to refer to Satan specifically when I was a really little kid. I don't know if I, if I quite thought that it was supposed to be the devil incarnate.
2: I guess I never thought that it was supposed to be the devil. I mean, I know that, I know that Beelzebub is Lord of the Flies. Like, I know that because of, like, I don't know, the fucking Sandman comics or something. Um, But and I I kind of just even still took it as because the literal flies are on the pig head, like just this kind of representative arbiter of death more than more than Satan himself.
4: Yeah, I saw it kind of the same. Yeah, more just evil and decay and kind of that they'd crossed over into (laughs) this new darker territory. I, I never actually thought of it as the devil, honestly.
1: Yeah. And I wonder if Golding to phrase it that way specifically, right? Like he didn't call he didn't call the novel Satan or, or, call, or call the <laughs> Well, i sure Satan, Satan
4: lies. Yeah. And it plays into the whole biblical, you know, parallels that you have with Simon and stuff too. So it's kind of.
1: Yeah. And it, and way. it is interesting too, because they have, they, they throw this word, the beast around right throughout the, the whole novel. And you know, at certain points it means the pig and then it's at one point it means Simon right before he gets killed. And at other points, it means the parachuter, the corpse on the mountain. And it is funny because I feel like with both Simon and the parachuter, and this goes back to what Mel was saying about the book actually being supernatural is that there's a moment with both of those where, where it's, Oh, and the pig is what the live pig of, Oh, it wasn't a beast. It was this thing. That's actually not as scary, right? Oh crap. It's Simon. We killed him. Oh, it's this parachuter. But it's funny because there's never that moment with the pig head. Like when Simon's talking to the pig head, he kind of tries to be rebellious against it or confronted a little bit, but it keeps talking to him. It's like, Oh, you're just mm-hmm. this, you're just a, a head on a stick. And the, you know, the, it's like the thing of like, Oh, well, if I look away, the monster's not there. And then you look back and it's still there. And I feel like that's very much what the pig's head is. It, it's the sort of, supernatural proof of the novel so yeah i i I really really love that scene i don't know if i quite understood or got the scene when i was a little kid either just like oh why is he talking to a pig's head now
2: i mean he also says the lord of the flies doesn't he literally say that like it's it's i'm you or like whatever like i'm either the beast or the lord of the flies is actually just inside of you which does make it real and the supernatural bit is like this emissary but the reason that Simon can't get rid of it is because
3: it's it's inside of them all.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. D- the darkness within and everything. Yeah, which I think is yeah much much more interesting to than just being Satan. Satan.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's like corruption. You know, it's yeah. like more the temptation, which I mean, I guess is like what Satan is like personified as in a lot of you know the Garden of Eden. Eden, but yeah. I don't know. I like him as kind of just this presence and this awareness of, like, um, this is what can happen or, like, this kind of an ominous presence. And I think, like, when I look at all – like, I think we could clearly say that Roger is pretty evil, um, but I think a lot of these structures, these are kids, and I don't necessarily believe that kids are – or people are born good or bad or that – like, I think we we live with these things, and it's just – like what your situation brings out and like your moral, um, strength in staying away from the, not becoming the pig's head and, you know, leaning towards the Simon, I guess maybe.
1: Yeah. I feel like the book is, is, I mean, it would be super easy, right. To go, is it nature versus nurture? But I do think it's a combination of those things, both with, with a character like Roger, especially, right? Like, okay. There's some of that that exists in him. He had to be in the right circumstances for it to, for it to come out. Um, all right. Well, We've gotten a little bit spooky with the pig's head already, but we it's going to get a little bit scarier now. <laughs> not, not really. It's just a podcast. It's not that scary, right? <laughs> As we go into the macabre.
0: Dr. Barrett's home. What? What did you say?
1: Oh, wait.
2: Wait, don't hang up, please
1: welcome to the macabre which is where we go we choose our uh our scariest scene uh or, or we, we pick our it doesn't have to be a favorite scary scene but just maybe what was the most effectively scary to you does anyone want to start and uh and talk about theirs no i really um, yeah. get
2: freaked out <laughs> no, <go> ahead, no. <laughs> i really get freaked out by the parachute man's final descent like piggy's death i think is the most scary and upsetting thing to me in the book maybe but after they kill Simon, the paragraph for B that is on 153, um, that says, now a great wind blew the rain sideways, cascading the water from the forest trees. On the mountaintop, the parachute filled and moved. The figure slid, rose to its feet, spun, swayed down through a vastness of wet air and trod with ungainly feet the tops of the high trees, falling, still falling. It sank toward the beach and the boys rushed screaming into the darkness. The parachute took the figure forward, furrowing the lagoon, and bumped it over the reef and out to sea. The vision of like a corpse, like coming at you from across the trees, yeah, dangling from a parachute is like really scary. Yeah, to and me. just
1: just being and being walking from the just the force of the wind there's something too about the way he talks about the feet right like it, it's stepping over
2: the treetops yeah Ooh. almost
1: like a marionette Ugh. yeah it's like they've crazy. just
2: killed simon and then you see this like thing coming at you from the horizon it's like gross it's fucking awful and just tragic
1: too because the other boys never get to know what the actual beast was right they i mean yeah. they, they don't... i
2: also love that you're you keep being like oh you know it has a perfectly rapid, rational explanation it's not that scary i'm like it's still a
4: dead body <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like dangling mm-hmm. from a parachute. A
1: dead body that's being animated by wind <laughs> yeah. yeah
4: still it's still fucking scary <laughs> what, that's what i was what... gonna say too just like when it's when it's even when it's stuck and like the wind mm-hmm. is making it like breathe like that's a really creepy image
1: yeah i was gonna say the the parachute fabric almost being like lungs or gills or something when the wind yeah it's like in midsummer
4: in. you know when it's like lungs are like outside of mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah
1: yeah that's nasty man. Ugh, that's gross sorry but yeah no no yeah no i, I forgot yeah lung stuff is always, always gonna freak me out like when i think about oh i have lungs inside me right now that are doing that weird thing
0: <laughs> without me thinking I don't like about it
1: there are lungs <laughs> yeah, exactly uh what about you jen what's your do you have a, a scariest scene that's different from uh the one we just talked about
3: I do. Yeah. But before that, every time they said a a stick sharpened on both ends, that just really unsettled me. I was like, what what are you going to do with that stick? Um, But the one I had was uh, Simon's death. And um, it just it's so I I feel so, so much pity for him in this moment. So um, the circle became. Oh, this is page 152. The circle became a horseshoe. A thing was crawling out of the forest. It came darkly, uncertainly. The shrill screaming that rose before the beast was like a pain. The beast stumbled into the horseshoe. Kill the beast. Cut his throat. Spill his blood. The blue-white scar was constant. The noise unendurable. Simon was crying out something about a dead man on a hill. Kill the beast. Cut his throat. Spill his blood. Do him in. The sticks fell in the mouth of the new circle, crunched and screamed. The beast was on its knees in the center, its arms folded over its face. It was crying out against the abominable noise, something about a body on the hill. The beast struggled forward, broke the ring and fell over the steep edge of the rock to the sand by the water. At once the crowd surged after it, pouring down the rock, leapt onto the beast, screamed, struck, bit, tore. There were no words and no movements, but the tearing of teeth and claws. And it's just so it just makes me so sad for him. And it's so terrifying to think of that, like bearing down on you and when like Golding shifts over and doesn't see him as a person anymore. It just, it's, it's so sad. And cause there's not a killing blow. There's like a million killing blows from people that you trusted. And so that it just gets me.
1: Yeah. That was actually the exact uh, passage I had to be I mean, oh, sorry. for. No, no, no. That's great. No, it's funny too. Cause I actually don't, our books are all packed away. So I don't have the, um, the, te- the pages in front of me no i would yeah for what you just said too and this and also too because everything else with simon is described with such eloquence and then to see to just shift right away to this very primal language and i remember as a kid being really freaked out that you, like you said they didn't know who participated because ralph and piggy were there too for that right like it wasn't mm-hmm. just it wasn't just the the boys who are already doing that and i think that also shows that they're all guilty of this in some way, you know, if Ralph and piggy joined in and the Mm -hmm. fact that can you imagine if that happened? Like, Oh yeah, he, he was killed, but we're not sure exactly which of us did it and what the final, and something about like Mm -hmm. biting and clawing and stuff too. It's just really the
3: biting. Yeah. Yeah. just like like, gnashing comes to mind. Yeah. Just
1: visualizing that. Um, Are there any, I have, I'm going to save one of mine for uh, the, one of our later sections, but are there any other scary parts we want to talk about before we move on?
4: I'll read an actual passage from one that had one of the sticks. I had some of the other (laughs) one that Jen just had too, but so I just found it really scary when Ralph is talking to Sam and Eric about like, well, what are they going to do to me when they catch me? Yeah, And so he says, well, he literally says, okay, page 267, (laughs) but what are you going to do when you catch me? Silence above. He sounded silly to himself. He lowered himself down the rock. What are you going to do? From the top of the towering rock came the incomprehensible reply. Roger sharpened a stick at both ends. That just, like, that literally gave me chills when I read it because mm-hmm. it's answering but not answering. And just the fact that I think Ralph actually, you know, nothing's off limits now. <laughs> like, he's starting mm-hmm. to realize, like, oh, shit, they, they're going to kill me. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
4: And that's, yeah that's it's just, also
2: scary that he doesn't quite he can't quite make yeah the connection yeah until mm-hmm. later where he's like what does that mean a stick sharp I mean, yeah up? not to it's get like, too
1: graphic with it but do y'all think he, it's it means that roger's gonna do to him what roger did to the pig or just that oh they're gonna cut off his head and put it on on the stick
2: I think the head, because he doesn't sharpen both ends unt- until the pig has already died. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's
1: true. Yeah. To He's like sharpen a
2: stick of both ends. and We're going to p- hit the thing in the ground, yeah. but it is scary to imagine <laughs> the other possibility. What's
1: funny too, because Golding, like I said, had a complicated relationship with the book and d- became very distanced from it. I think he didn't like how it overshadowed the rest of his work. And he talked about the language being really crude and simplistic, but I actually think the more simplistic phrases like that, like the sh- stick at both ends, are what really is the most. That those phrases are the most unnerving to me in the, yeah, in the same. book. So, yeah. Ugh. Well, we talked about some things we uh, we loved, uh, some some scary parts, but we're going to move on to a section. I'm curious to see what we have in here. of Maybe some things that didn't work quite so well for us in a section we like to call the misery.
0: My father imprisoned a friend of his in this room for three years. When he was released. He could never again bear to look at the sun.
1: Welcome to The Misery. Um, we touched on this already. I, I to be honest, don't have much for this section. I certainly don't have any individual language things I don't like. For me, it is more hinging on some of the obvious symbolism and maybe Simon being a little bit more of a device than a character. But even then, I, I, it's not like it. it's any kind of deal breaker for me with a novel. But what about the rest of you? Do you have any um, either individual passages or just things that maybe didn't work so well for you?
2: if I have to read the phrase shock of
4: hair one more time,
1: shock of hair,
4: hair. (laughs) like hair. ah. Anyone else? I didn't really have much that I didn't like, to be honest. I do. Yeah. I think sometimes some of the symbolism is like, okay, I get it. But uh, I mean, overall, like, I really enjoyed this book, and I really enjoy how descriptive he is, and the the variety of ways that he's able to describe things yeah. is really unique. Mm-hmm. I
1: really like the British vernacular. I love the wizard Waco. Yeah, oh, you know, I love um, that wizard! Great. It's a I mean, wizard. And and I think too, I don't. Yeah, because on one hand, I'm like, oh yeah, some of the symbolism is obvious, especially with Simon and the 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 pilot, the little lens, the guy at the end. But at the same time, when I read it as a little kid, I didn't get, I didn't pick up on any any of that, right? So. No. And I do Dan,
2: you keep mentioning this pilot. He, is he in the book? Like
1: just in the, in the in the beginning, right? The the pilot who died. They yeah, talk about the pilot just, who dies. He's just on the they island. They talk
2: and... about him, but he's not ever
4: present, is he?
1: Isn't no, just he the... They just, just mention cor- that he
4: dies, yeah, cuz they ask oh. like are there any adults and but
1: like they they mentioned the pilot maybe I'm I thought
4: there was like some extended version that I'm
1: missing I think too because I because I in the 1990 movie it opens with him saving well not saving because the pilot's dead but like the first shot is him pulling up the pilot and he and he's He's alive for a little bit on the island and dying or whatever. Oh, so I think no, I'm. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll cop to it. I'm confl- conflating the two. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, this is
2: a hot, a hot personal take. I don't love, nor can I fully access the descriptions of the landscape of the island. It is really hard for me to access the metaphors that he. Oh, like the scar like, detail really eludes me. Like they are vague and fantastic, and I feel like metaphor should elucidate through comparison, but instead I'm just like okay, all I know is that this island has like fruit and pink rock on it. And mm-hmm. like, I, I don't quite know how to put it all together, even though there are paragraphs devoted to the geography and like what they are traversing. It was my brain just slid off of them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: How did you feel with the scar? Because I like the scar now as a as a, an adult, but I, as a kid, I, I feel like I didn't quite know. What I like
2: the scar is a clearer image. It's like the yeah. plane, you know, where
1: it destroyed the vegetation and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I like. I think I like the Pink Rock just because it doesn't let. Yeah, it feels like more like a fan, a child's view of it. You know, like something out like Peter Pan. I do agree in that. I don't necessarily know how big the island is, the di- directionality of it, or anything like that. I wonder if there's an edition that has a map or anything. You know, like the Hobbit Wood or, <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I
4: I kind of like that vagueness though because it makes you i mean it puts you in the place of the characters a little bit like not really knowing where they are or what they're really dealing with or but i
2: got the sense he was really
3: trying yeah like
2: here's what this looked like yeah. and i'm like i don't fucking know what you're <laughs> saying dude
1: <laughs> like I'm,
2: it's not clearer to me <laughs>
3: Yeah, any, any- yeah, I did kind of find myself getting lost, like the same way that I always get lost when I'm reading a Dark Tower book, and I can't, I don't know where I am in Midworld. Um, I did like some of it, and some of it is my in my magic section because I feel like there's like a personification of the landscape that I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a a thing that I did not a misery, and it's my one big problem, not a big problem, but I just don't like it. So it's on page eleven, and Piggy. I'm sorry. Um, the fat boy has just said he doesn't want to be called Piggy, and um, he says the fat boy glanced over his shoulder, then leaned toward Ralph. He whispered, "They used to call me Piggy." Ralph shrieked with laughter. He jumped up, "Piggy, Piggy!" And he says, "Ralph, please." And then Goldman says, "Piggy." Clasped his hands in apprehension. And how swiftly, like mm. he, as the the omnipotent writer, switches to calling him Piggy. And the fact that we never know his name that does that bothers me.
1: What do you What do y'all think his name is?
3: ralph it's, <laughs> Maybe it's also he's ralph. embarrassed <laughs> yeah. exactly he's like i don't want to be ralph too so i guess i'll be piggy oh yeah he's so. he's, he's like
1: oh which one is it ralph too or, but yeah just yeah. really deliberating in, in his head um yeah, he's, he's sort
3: of like a percy or something
1: yeah but there's a percival already right isn't one of the little ones named yeah, yeah, one so, yeah. and any other uh, any other misery before we um we read a few more passages all right let's just you know just like uh roger is the opposite of simon The magic is the opposite of misery.
0: (laughs) Are there supernatural powers her scientific husband denies exists? I want some kind of explanation.
4: But is it obvious? I'm a witch.
1: Welcome to The Magic, where we maybe read some passages that that we love. Um, I'll kick us off, and honestly, part of this is just because my book, my copy is stowed away because of all our moving boxes. But I do always, it's such a short phrase, but I think this speaks to what I was saying before about gold golding, just being very blunt and not giving a ton of detail, but by doing that, gives all the detail that makes sense. It's super short. This is after, right. When piggy gets killed, this phrase, just, I, I was going to put this in in uh, uh, the macabre, but I wanted to save it for here because it's just stuck with me since I was 10, his head opened and stuff came out and turned red. Like that to me is just <laughs> so haunting and treating a human, just like a piece of meat and yeah, I don't know, the, just the idea of, of brain being red stuff is has always just really, really unnerved me ever since I first read this book. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's next? That, who has maybe a sentence or passage or, or something they want to highlight in the book?
4: I do love how subtly Golden kind of like hints at these kids' progression into, you know, quote unquote, savagery and how they kind of ease into that dynamic with the you know with the other group so there's this passage on page 80 and they're talking about henry and he's messing around in you know a little tide pool or something but (laughs) so he says um he poked about with a bit of a stick that itself was wave worn and whitened and a vagrant and tried to control the motions of the scavengers. He made little runnels that the tide filled and tried to crowd them with creatures. He became absorbed beyond mere happiness as he felt himself exercising control over living things. And he does that throughout the book, like these little moments where the boys are kind of just like messing and feeling like a weird sense of power and it just how it grows throughout the book is really kind of scary to me i think Mm -hmm. i like to there's
1: just i love his alliteration was the creatures crowded i don't know there's something about that phrase that's really cool too uh Mm -hmm. yeah what about you jen what's it what's a phrase or a passage you love
3: um well the one that i love the most is on the very last page and i really like how this book ends um And it is, uh, Ralph looked at him dumbly for a moment. He had a fleeting picture of the strange glamour that had once invested the beaches, but the island was scorched up like dead wood. Simon was dead and Jack had... The tears began to flow and sobs shook him. He gave himself up to them now for the first time on the island. Great shuddering spasms of grief that seemed to wrench his whole body. His voice rose under the black smoke before the burning wreckage of the island. And infected by that emotion, the other little boys began to shake and sob too. And then the middle of them with bloody filth. With filthy body, matted hair, and unwiped nose, Ralph wept for the end of innocence, the darkness of man's heart, and the fall through the air of the true wise friend called Piggy. And I feel like the end kind of thematically closes that. But what I love is the fact that like, he finally lets himself feel everything that I think he's been holding in for so long. And it really struck me like, that they had, for this whole novel, after this massive trauma, they had not been crying and sobbing and again like it's kind of like i have to think about it in context of alive because it was just in my head but like that's a big part of the book uh, in alive and it's just absent here which i think is really interesting but i i like the recognition that it is still inside them they have just been trying to deny it
1: yeah and i like too that we don't get on the boat with them at the end I feel like that would just uh-huh. ruin it so oh, much yeah. right that yeah <laughs> that I, it's
3: just on the island just
1: staring like yeah becoming kids again and looking back at what they've done is just really chilling to me uh, what about you Mel do you have a passage yeah, you yeah. want to read
2: if, if it's okay I just want to talk about what I like about the point of view in the writing yeah please quick. I, I think that the point of view is so interesting and the style of writing is so interesting in that it's really elevated. It has its own commentary. It has a narrative eye that isn't unbiased. And it, it does dip into close third as well, most especially with with Ralph. But we get sentences that start with like the eye, like the eye would be drawn to this. It's, it's this mention of this universal kind of objective viewer. And it tells us kind of what is to be remarked upon. It interprets for us, but it also implies like, this is the way any reader would interpret what we're seeing. The eye would, would choose this. This is sort of humanity. But we're also held at a remove that allows for for judgment and for suspense and surprise. So the eye really isn't all knowing. The boys, they sort of move and talk without us seeing them a lot. And dialogue has to be really parsed. Like there's a moment where someone is like, what is this track from? But we didn't even know they were looking at tracks, right? So we don't always see what they see, but we hear about it after the fact. And I love the poetic tension between getting swept up in the emotion of the boys, like going into that close third, being told how to inhabit their feelings, but then also finding them inaccessible and looking more clinically and doing that sort of zoom out process. And I think that tension is at its height in the most violent moments, like the death of the pig and the death of piggy, both are both take a turn to that clinical eye at the end of it, even though we're swept up in the emotion at first um, and it also, the zoom in, zoom out function has the effect of making the boys small or large, like making the boys fighting the center of the world at one moment, and then totally zooming out almost literally the next, like there is a literal zoom out at one point. That's like, they were on the like floating bobble of the earth or whatever, <laughs> and you're, and you're with that voice again. Um, and Dan, it speaks to what you were talking about a little bit too, that sort of clinical voice of the death of, of piggy, um, is really, is really when it gets most scary to me. Like that scene is scarier to me than the death of Simon because the death of Simon is very emotional. You're sort of kind of like in it, the dance, you're like biting and clawing with them. Whereas Piggy is like the rock hit him and like stuff came out. <laughs> no jellyfish. And I think the, the balance between stuff like, you know, the rock hit him and stuff came out and, and phrases like he knelt down again and was busy with his knife is like really good. Like he keeps alternating between the vagueness and the specificity. Mm -hmm. um so I, I I this book I think the language is just so masterful um maybe I'll save my most favorite I've talked a lot so I'll save my most favorite line for for my final thoughts but I I just loved I fell in love with this book um for the first time even though I had read it before I I loved the way that it's weird to me that he that Dan you said he kind of thinks it's like um What's the word used about the language? Yeah, he said like he said it was crude
1: later. and and I don't know. It's I think so
2: lyrical. It's yeah. so beautiful. I would
1: I would agree, and I think a lot of that, like I said, came from that editor who I, th- I think he got a lot of criticism from the publisher and the editor when he first turned it in, and and he made a lot of their changes that he requested, but I think he maybe just got a distaste for. It. And then of course, obviously, I mean, this happens with a lot of authors. The it even though he has some respected works after this, it did kind of overshadow everything he yeah. did, right? And he and he lives. Pre- he didn't die, I think, till like nineteen. 93 or 95 so i mean he lived a very long time after this once again had respect but i don't think he ever wrote anything that quite reached that pinnacle again so um yeah but hey you know golding i thank you for giving us this book (laughs) wherever you are you dirty old man um no i'm just kidding he is
2: i will say he's a dirty old man he does this twice and i love it he talks about, um, the rub of feeling or the, ru- the fresh rub of two spirits in the dark <laughs> when the boys are fighting. And it's like, yes, that is accurate. Like you can sort of, there's a chafing of personalities, but it's also <laughs> like, oh yeah, those spirits are rubbing. <laughs> it's, uh, when did you say
1: erotic before? Yeah. And I think that is yeah. Uh, yeah, all over that. Um, are, are there any other, I'm curious to see what Mel's favorite line is going to be in a couple sections, but are there any other passages or sentences we wanted to read out loud?
2: Oh, yeah, I have one more, but I'll stop.
1: You sure? Yeah, I mean, hey, you can go for it if you want to.
2: I love when Piggy talks, gives his little monologue where he talks about hating people that you're scared of. It's for me, it's on 93. And he says, I'm scared of him. And that's why I know him. If you're scared of someone, you hate him, but you can't stop thinking about him. You kid yourself, he's all right, really. And then when you see him again, it's like asthma and you can't breathe. And it's this great focus on how how like, fear generates obsession when you hate someone it's not that you're indifferent right that's the opposite of hey you can't you focus on them all the time and you know them because you're scared of them i thought that was like such a nicely put but rarely articulated notion well it's that thing
1: that thing too they always say when you're a kid oh oh you know the bully's more the the bully's actually scared and the bully's more scared of you than you are of him and you're like no that's not true all the time (laughs) sometimes they're just these big tormenting jerks who have no fear right and they just do it (laughs) like i mean yeah sometimes okay maybe someone's a bully because they were mistreated a certain way or they they just want friends or something, but then other times they're, they're just awful. So yeah, I think I speak, that speaks to that. Um, well, cool. Unless anyone has any other passages they'd like to uh, they'd like to read, we can go on to, to why we're here in the first place because of Psy King in a section that we like to call The King Connection.
0: Somebody who's got problems and fears and phobias, they go to a psychiatrist and it costs them maybe $150 an hour
1: and they don't even get, get a full hour. They get 50 minutes. I do what people pay me. Welcome to the King Connection. And because I have the conch, we're going to call it King Connection with a K. Um, even though I don't think it's spelled like that in our categories where we talk <laughs> about obviously the is The Steve conch King. with a K. Con, yeah, everything. It's everything with a K now. Um yeah. So obviously the big one is is King naming Castle Rock, uh his town after the high point on the island where the boys meet. So that's the big obvious one, but I think there are a lot of just aesthetic things that King, however, knowingly or unknowingly drew from for Lord of the Flies, I mean, we've talked, we talked about it just a minute ago, I think his portrayal of bullying and just dark kid characters feels very much inspired by this. I'm guessing he read it when he was, he was young. Um, I, I, think even too this idea, if you think about something like under the dome, which is this microcosm of society, right? Like that to me feels reminiscent of Lord of the Flies. Those are just some random ones that come to mind. What, what else did people find in, uh, in the King connection?
4: So my book actually has the introduction written by Stephen King, which was very- Really? Cool. Wow. Yeah.
1: Oh, so, wow. Um, I did not know he wrote. Oh, oh that's yeah. awesome. What did I'll he get? Yeah, uh, not uh, helpful uh,
4: for listeners, but I'm showing a picture of the version.
1: <laughs> the latest with this, this not, yeah. I, I for real did not know he wrote an introduction to it. That's yeah, it awesome.
4: looks like in, in 2011, it says he wrote an introduction for it and just how he uh, a librarian uh, gave it to him when he asked for something that basically- showed kids as kids really are not something like hardy boys is what he asked for And this librarian apparently gave him lord of the flies so i thought that yes. was an interesting story and <laughs> kudos to that librarian i guess um but he even says that the biggest thing he learned from this book was that his his rule of thumb as a writer and a reader um is to feel it first think about it later analyze all you want but first dig the experience which to me made a lot of sense and it's like for good or bad but it was like okay i can i can really see how he would not only take that you know from this book but also how he's implemented it into his own work
1: yeah what's funny too because the whole i mean it's been talked about to death now but the whole argument between king and kubrick right is that king uh king says stanley kubrick is a man who thinks too much and feels too little and then kubrick said the uh, or i think king's critics have said that about him he well, he's someone who feels too much and thinks too little and I, hey i like king and kubrick so you know but yeah well, what other <laughs> any other revelations did he did he talk about specifically oh i drew this from like this thing in my work uh, from the lord of the flies or is it more just about his love of? no the he doesn't say
4: anything like super specific like that i mean he does say like to me Lord of the Flies has always represented what novels are for which makes what makes them indispensable should we expect to be entertained when we read a story of course an act of imagination that doesn't entertain is a poor act indeed but there should be more a successful novel should erase the boundary line between writer and reader so they can unite when that happens the novel becomes a part of life the main course not the dessert should interrupt the reader's life make him or her miss appointments skip meals forget to walk the dog so i you know he really <laughs> took that idea please eat and take your
2: dog (laughs) gotta read
1: gotta
4: read this (laughs) book
1: that's awesome man that's i I really want to read that introduction i had no idea he he wrote one i
4: can get it for you and probably it's probably brian has probably given it to us in that (laughs) way but probably but but if not i can i can get it for you guys
1: oh that's great yeah i yeah i would love to read that uh jenna mel what about you any any king connections that we haven't discussed
2: there are ones in his books, but I don't know what they are. Like, I remember wikipedia this and, and it's saying that King explicitly references Lord of the Flies in a couple of books, like some characters talk about it or something.
3: Yeah, Gen- I don't remember do you know? any specific okay. ones. Um, But yeah, I, I feel like it is kind of, especially now reading it and kind of reflecting on a lot of King's work, I think this these themes are really present. What I kept thinking about, I have one really stupid one, and then I have one kind of larger one. Um, I kept thinking about the stand while I was reading this and just like the reformation of civilization and especially Glenn's speech where he talks about giving me two people and they will be friends. And I can't remember exactly what it is, but I love that speech. And I think he probably was thinking a lot about Lord of the flies when he was writing that. And I don't necessarily see any direct parallels, but I think like, I also think like they're not on the Island for years and years and years. And I wonder like if he was thinking of piggy Like, I see kind of a loose connection with Harold Lauder and Piggy, like, if he were just a couple years older or if it was a longer time when they were on the island. So, yeah, that was kind of what was in my head. But my really stupid one um, is (laughs) but kind of my... um, My uh, the thing that I didn't like is how we never find his name out until he is identified in the story, um, and so he's called the fat boy until he's called Piggy, and it just made me think of um a little play called Castle Rock, season (laughs) three, where we talk we refer to someone as the middle aged man until the turning point where we find out, and I'm not gonna spoil who he turns out to be, but then as soon as we find out, the narrator Randall um uses his name. I
1: think Um, yeah, I think Randall does that with every character, and we we. which is so funny, the joke, right? Mm-hmm. Castle Rock being that, oh, we all know who these characters are right off the bat, because if we weren't King Obsessors, we wouldn't be listening to this. I, I love right, that. exactly. Like the, yeah. making it a big reveal when it when it's uh when it's actually not. Yeah, I'm looking for I'm I'm just looking online for for uh the specific lore of the flies king. Although, hey, wait. I just I have, think
4: Oh, I have one. He he says in this thing that he he uses one of the lines from the book as um as one of the epigraphs in Hearts in Atlantis. Mm. oh
1: so that's cool man that's which? do you know which line it is or
4: um it says it's when um i think it's when simon is seeing the cat or the not the cow the pig and he says the half-shut eyes were dim with the infinite cynicism of adult life they assured simon that everything was a bad business mm. uh yeah i think to just this business.
1: idea of kids having to come of age too quickly too, right? I mean, that's the theme in Hearts of Atlantis, it's the theme in the body. It's obviously- There's so many.
2: Like I I even wrote down, like there's these archetypes, the hero, the villain, the sadist, the sniveler Mm -hmm. and the seer. Like those are in every king, like- Jen was saying like they're in the stand, they're in it. Like Bill is such a Ralph. Oh,
1: totally. <laughs>
4: like, uh-huh. um, You've got this, you got those, you got those
1: Golding Golding S's in there too with a lot of those <laughs> archetypes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: And just kids being able to be evil and like we already talked about the bullying, but you know, and you I, even in different ways. You know, you look at like gauge or something like the fact that like this little boy, like, obviously there's other things going on, but that he could still, (laughs) he could still kill, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. One, even too, And it's funny because I feel like whenever we read passages from King's work, the, the, I tend to gravitate towards the ones that are a lot shorter because King, I think I love him as much as I love him. He does tend to overwrite sometimes. Right. And so I think when he can describe a violent act really simply in those kind of clinical terms, that always stands out to me, just like these did here, what Mel was saying, like the kind of the zooming in and zooming out, especially among all this, all this poetry also too. I'm when I, when I Google Stephen King, Lord of the flies, most of that, that comes up as just the uh, the introduction that he did. Um, but there's, I have never read this article and I can't believe I haven't, but there's on dread central from, uh, 2019 it says Stephen King wants to see the Muppets do Lord of the Flies I have not <laughs> what? I will click on that later wow. uh, but yeah so I guess so like we
2: would write as like a present to you <laughs> like I know that's
1: like King please do that if he's if he's <laughs> listening uh yeah, make that happen um any other connections we want to talk about until we uh before we go on to our final category all right in that case let's do it uh we are going to move on to the last portion of our night called the final waltz So the final waltz where as you may have guessed we share our final thoughts and nose ratings i don't i don't know if we should do some lord of the instead of pennywise conscious yeah conscious and you can <laughs> if you want to do a half you can because the conch can break um mm-hmm. so uh, i'll kick us off i mean uh, no surprise i'm gonna give this five conch con god no, no, i can't say it conch conch shells <laughs> Um, as Rachel was saying, I mean, the book just, I've read it a ton of times now, although apparently I can't get the plot point of a pilot not dying on the island, right? Um, but I I think as I've gotten older, just it, it ages well because it's deceptively simple. I think when you read as a kid and there's so much going on beneath the surface, even though it's not a very long book at all, which I think is always the mark of a great writer, um, you know, as as a kid, I just related to the fact that it was about kids, and I liked seeing this adventure story that involved kids. And as I as I get older, I think it really speaks to heroes being imperfect and societal structures that we've set up being imperfect, and just how easy it is for everything to descend into chaos. Which, obviously, given what's happened the past few years politically, socially, a lot of different things, we're we're seeing some of that, right? Um, yeah, I I don't think this book will ever not be relevant to me, and it just it 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 just gets better with age. So I mean, I, like I said, I wrote a whole play around it, so I have to give it five five conch shells. Um, Rachel, what would you give it?
4: I would give it five bright, shiny, and white pink conch shells. Ah, very nice. <laughs> yeah, I I loved this. It was so interesting revisiting it for the first time, and oh, I don't know, like twenty some years, and how much I remembered, but also how those memories were very they they meant something different and what was actually happening meant something very different to me and I I love the I love the language that Golding is using I love the subtlety of which when when and how he shifts kind of the narrative and this decay that's happening within this group of boys and I just thought it was such an easy, quick read. I mean, I read the whole thing in two days, and I'm not necessarily a fast reader, so that really told me that, like, I was invested in the story, and I was encapsulated. I did still, like, go to work, and, do, you know, I didn't quite just abandon all my (laughs) responsibilities like King suggested a good book should do, but I was just completely, like, encompassed in this world, and I'm so glad I got to revisit this and I really look forward to, you know, adding this into the rotation and coming back to it again and again, because I think there's a lot here and it can mean a lot of different things wherever you're at at a different time. So I I look forward to that.
1: Absolutely. Well said, Uh, Jen, what about you?
3: Um, I, I think I had an idea of what this book was going to be because it's just so kind of present in, um, culture. And I was so surprised pleasantly by what it actually was and like the nuance and the depth, but also the simplicity that kind of, and like the, their focus and it's, it is a microcosm of the themes that I like write and talk about. That is like what I'm really passionate about anytime I can talk about patriarchy and, um, masculinity is like Christmas for me. And I think this is just such a, a really like essentialized, like, like version of that, that I can really dig into. I think it's the kind of book that will grow with me as I read it again. I've like, I've really, really enjoyed talking about it with you all because I think like it's, it's, it's like deceptively simple. I think we've said, but it's like the seeds are there for so many different interpretations. And At the end of the audio book that I listened to, Golding was like, you know, there have been a lot of interpretations of this and I don't really want to subscribe to all of them. What this is, is what it means to you, which I really appreciated hearing from him. Um, I've struggled between four and a half and five, so I think I'm just going to give it five because I did really, really enjoy it. And I think I'll definitely revisit it.
1: The conch shell remains unbroken so far. (laughs) Uh, Mel, bring us home with your thoughts and reading.
3: Oh yeah, it's a five huge
2: honk and coughs from <laughs> from, me. Yay, from the diaphragm. <laughs> um, that's a perfect score. Yeah, I I too like was so glad to rediscover this this book. I think it should be assigned in like I don't know grad school, like even college to me feels a little too early. I feel like it it yeah, deceptively simple is a great way to put it because there were lines that as a child I would have glossed over and now I'm like I don't think I've ever heard anyone kind of articulate this this well or mm-hmm. or articulate it in a new way and I hadn't quite thought of that. My favorite line is um, after Jack fails to keep the fire going because he is went hunting instead, um, he's he still sort of is is commanding the group because he got them meat um, but is feeling feeling that sort of deep down shame or that that insecurity. Um, and it's on page 74, and it says, Jack looked around for understanding but found only respect. And that's such an unanticipated end to that sentence, Like, mm-hmm. and is the only, I think, instance of Jack knowing what he's lost. Respect is what he seeks for the entirety of the book, and he does get it. Um, mm-hmm. But what he loses is understanding, and I think the book's main argument is in favor of understanding. There, And there are other like little moments where it gets literally crowded out of people's minds. Again, there's the curtain in Ralph's mind. There's this great part um, again in Jack's mind or a little bit before then that says his mind was crowded with memories and that's why he can't listen to Ralph. It's because his own experience is crowding out the understanding of how someone else might feel. And so to understand other people's experience, which is what Piggy does, that's Piggy's gift it's mm-hmm. Piggy that tells Ralph that he knows he knows Jack and he knows that Jack hates Ralph and he's able to access this understanding, this empathy for like how where Jack is coming totally. from. Even Ralph can't do that. You need like that and the charisma to, to really run a country, I guess. But I, I love that that message and that sense just kind of surprised me so much that I like highlighted it and put the book down and I like'll we'll think of it you know for long after this podcast that understanding is what makes like a true considerate wise human if it's even possible, but adults don't have it either, of course, by the end. Um, so yeah, five, five honking conches. Um, <laughs> this is also going into my rotation.
1: Nice. That is a perfect score. Five honking yeah. conch shells for Lord <laughs> of the Flies. This has been so great to talk with y'all. I, I, I love this book. I adore this book. And yeah, I feel like in a weird way, even though we've been going for almost two and a half hours, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. I, I agree mm-hmm. that I think this should be taught in, in all grades. So thank you for being here tonight.
2: You should read it every year the year. In
1: school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I read it every the, the past few years. I've read a lot um, just with with writing the play. And then also I reread it after seeing that Wolf production. So um, any of y'all listening out there? Yeah, please read it. Uh, yeah, I, I would say watch the 60s movie, too. It's very good. I, I can put a link in there. I think it's public domain as well. So it should be easy to find streaming. And there's a criterion collection of it as well um all right well constant listeners as always thank you for tuning in we've got lots of cool stuff coming down the pipeline um I, I don't have much else to say other than i is there a i know we usually say long days pleasant nights is there a lord of the flies phrase that we, we can say um
2: kill
3: the pig, kill the pig.
1: No. Okay. <laughs> so here so um one on three we'll say kill the, kill the pig all right no no i don't right, no, we'll just we do- can all just blow a conch, conch- yeah, yeah. yeah, All right, no. <laughs> but for real obviously we love you tuning in um th- thank you um wait who did we have that uh did did this wasn't a request right this was just we were just talking about one of the books mentioned in, in dance macabre yeah
3: yeah yeah so, what a King's king face. himself
1: request, king, right? so this is Cy king requesting himself like
3: i want my favorite podcast to cover my, one of my favorite <laughs>
1: books yeah exactly yeah he, he's like yeah that tweet he, he tweeted uh, he, he actually dm'd us he said guys
2: I- dan is it possible <laughs> for people to Read or access sound stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. They have to
1: have seen it. No, no, yeah. I'm. I'm. Honestly, people just want to message me on Discord. I can send it if you're on. So you can read it on the new Play Exchange. I think, but I think you have to have like a membership. It's like ten bucks a year, Mm -hmm. and I don't want people have to pay for it um if you're interested in reading it uh tweet at me uh reach out i'm pretty bad at. i need to get on discord more but uh tweet at me Insta- dm me on instagram uh discord whatever it Um happy to have people read it if uh if you are so inclined it's pretty dark it goes to some weird places by the end of it but uh i'm proud of it and there's pictures too. So you can see on uh the UT website. If you want to see a character wearing a pig mask, uh, that's where to go for oh, it. So yeah. yes. I'll I'll drop that in there. Um, so thank you, Rachel, Jen, and Mel, for being here. Always great to talk to y'all and talk to y'all about such an esteemed book. And the rest of you, thanks for listening. Um, we'll see you the next episode. But until then, long days. Long days
0: and, and pleasant.
1: pleasant
0: night. Night. I got some
2: hot God, I got some
0: hot some hot friends, but you know you want somebody to treat you good This is the end of our show for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts such as Creepy Horror Queers The Boo Crew SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.